Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Tuesday morning, October 17, 843-661-0937. Good morning, Josh. Good morning. Good morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. So the, the Gamecocks in Texas A&M play at 12 noon in College Station the week after um, next. You want a bit of good news? You want some good news about Gamecock football, Rev? I'd love some. I mean, we, we're in therapy. Josh, yeah. you don't need this therapy. Rev is not. I mean, I, I am I'm an old hand at this therapy. I mean, it's, you know, I kind of know how to address. Rev is not Johnny come lately, but he's, um, what, what does Emerald Lagasse say? He's kicked up his fandom <laughs> uh, a notch. Bam. Um, by joining the Gamecock Club and buying tickets and, you know, purchasing a parking spot. Nothing is free in the world of big time um, college athletics. But um, yesterday we touched on, uh, you know, some of the problems, some of the issues. I made a statement. Somebody said, say that again. I was at a meeting late yesterday afternoon, um, and someone said, say that again. Coach, so you believe coaches and players win ball games, but administrations win championships. I said, yes, and I'm not the only one to remember, or just to believe that. Um, John Calipari of Kentucky fame. I uh, believe that. He said it over and over again. The reason Kentucky wins championships in basketball is not because we're, you know, um, we're the most attractive product in, in, in America. I mean, kids come there believing and knowing that the culture and the university's administration has made a commitment in college basketball to be elite, to be as good as as there is. Um, what does that mean? Someone asked me yesterday, what does that mean? I mean, is it, here's what it means to me. Um, it means that you're always in pursuit of a better way to do something. The administration is the front office. And it's the, it's the people in control of creating a program, um, you know, a series of decisions that lead to um, innovation, uh, creativity, uh, engaging the family. It's just it's a lot. It's a multitude of different things. It's kind of the, it's, it's a business. I mean, I've always said this, and this is the biggest compliment I could give to Clemson. And um, and in the weirdest way, I'd probably be better off if Tenenbaum had been a Tiger fan because I, you know, they protect that football program with, with everything in their in their body. I mean, they do that that they they understand the significance of that football program as it relates to the um, to the mystique of the university. Um, that Paul and and I've said it before. Um, the person that sweeps the floor at Clemson is as attached to that Paul as the person who runs the university or has been on the board for 10 or 15 years. And the University of South Carolina, at times, gets distracted and wants to be a little more appreciated and accepted and diverse and, and celebrated in its cosmopolitan um, sorts of ways. And um, I'm just not much, much into that. But it's, it's the – but I said yesterday to me um, – New blood is important, extremely important. Um, I'm not saying the board members are bad. I'm not saying the AD is bad. I'm not saying the basketball, football, baseball coach is bad. But I think you, you've always got to have younger and, 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 and different points of view involved in making big decisions. I'll give an example, and I don't mind using this name. I actually passed away a couple of three years ago. Joe Edens was a – a friend of mine, Joe, runs the Edens Company. or ran the Edens Company until he until he passed away. Well, Joe, in his later years, said, "I am proud of the company. You know, I don't run it anymore." Because Joe was eighty-two or three or four years old, um, became 
unbelievably successful in commercial development, property, and whatnot in places all over America. Um, in fact, became the guy that ran Eden's company, Terry Brown, was a guest on CNBC one day talking about this new financial arrangement uh, they had um, entered into. Um, might have been BlackRock. <laughs> Sorry, might have been, if I remember right. Um, but, but anyway, um, I, I was, we had a break. I may have told you this story. We had a break at the state house one day and I walked over to Joe's office. He owned the building, the, uh, NBSC building across the street. Eventually it became what Sonova's I think. And then it may not even be Sonova's now they changed names and merge and consolidate. What anyway, um, Joe, um, Joe had a, a couple of floors that the Eden's company was in the building across the, from the state house. And I'd gotten to know Joe in my political days and he was very supportive of me and he was real motivated by e-commerce. I mean, it, this would have been not the early days of e-commerce. This was when the debate began about taxation of online sales. And Joe was a brick and mortar retailer. So obviously Joe's not fond of Amazon or online commerce having that advantage and he would lean on me about things the Senate were doing and what we need to consider and think about. And he was enormously brilliant, or just one of the smartest business people I've ever known in my life. But one day I walk over. We got about an hour and a half break at the Senate. I walk over to Joe's office. Um, he says, come in here for a minute. So we walk across the aisle, and he's having a board meeting. And I'm like, I don't need to be in your board meeting. He said, well, I mean, you're with me. You're good. Don't worry about it. Come with me in the, in the board meeting. Anyway, board meeting lasts 30, 40 minutes. It was some sort of emergency session. They had some deal in Austin, Texas, and Target, you know, that they were trying to close on, and they had to, they had some official decisions that they had to make. The board had to ratify. Anyway, we go in the room for about 30 minutes. We walk out of the room, and I'm 42 at the time. Uh, yeah, 42-ish, 40, 41, 42 at the time. And I remember walking out, excuse me, 51 or two at the time. I walk out of the room and I look at Joe and I said, Joe, I'm the second oldest person in that room. I mean, obviously you're older than I am. And Joe said, I ain't letting my company get old. I mean, I can't stop from getting old. I mean, I hope I get older and older and older and older because the alternative is, you know, being put to the ground. Um, but I'm not going to let my company ever be run by people over 75, 80 years old. I'm just not. I mean, I think you've got to have... Uh, breaths of fresh air and new points of view and an adaptation on, you know, what, what his, we've historically done may not work for the next 5, 10, 15, um, 20 years. And that had a, a big impact on me. Uh, what, one of the brightest men that I know, what one of the priorities of him and his baby, I mean, his jewel, his company, his livelihood was I'm going to get old, good Lord willing. I'm not letting, my, I'm not letting the people that make big decisions on my company's behalf be a bunch of 80-year-old guys crowded up in a room thinking they know it all because, you know, back in the day we did it this way. And I can't imagine young people wanting to do it um, that way. And I think the University of South Carolina is probably more guilty of that than most. I don't have any idea, Rev, how the University of Nebraska does their business. I don't have any idea how the University of Southern California or UCLA do their business. But but I just believe in, 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 in business, and universities are unbelievably enormous businesses today. I mean, I think you would agree to that. Um, they don't necessarily have a bottom line and that would be very much to their advantage right. and they can behave in ways that people <laughs> in the private sector can't behave. I mean, they, they cannot condemn Hamas and, and get away with it. Well, I mean, maybe they don't. You Penn and Harvard, if you saw this or not, um, because of 
the 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 pro-Palestinian activities at Harvard and UPenn, um, some rich imagine this, some rich Jewish guys are rescinding some of the charitable donations they made to Harvard and Penn to the tune of a grand total of about half a billion dollars, about five hundred million in pledges that some um, Jewish businessmen and women, I think, um, philanthropic in nature, had promised to give those universities, have said, um, yeah, thank you, but no thank you. There doesn't seem to be a lot of diversity on uh, on staff. we got a lot of people that look different. You know, you got women and men and blacks and whites and Hispanics and Asians. But it seems that everybody believes about the same thing, <laughs> so so no diversity of philosophy, and they're rescinding some of the, uh, some of the donations. Um one interesting financial matter. Let's tend to this morning. And let's say this again. If you've got politics on the brain, you better call in today because this show will uh, morph into something fundamentally different tomorrow, Thursday, and Friday when we partner with McLeod Health. And uh, Rev and I will be over at the campus at McLeod Health on behalf of the Children's Miracle Network and the McLeod Children's Hospital. So if you need your political fix, uh, you better get it out of your system True. today. Uh, because once again, well, I guess you get it out with Hannity and, you know, Bongino and some of the others, Levin, um, some of the more esteemed and credible um, talk show hosts. But if you like uh, what we do here in the morning, we're not doing it this way Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Um, I predicted that Tim Scott would have his moment in the sun. Um, it was very brief. I mean, it was extremely brief. Uh, the Tim Pack. Trust in the Mission Political Action Committee, referred to as the Tim uh, Pack, canceled about $40 million worth of television buys yesterday. And that leads me to believe. Now, now, Tim's already, I mean, think of this, guys. Tim Scott has more cash on hand. I saw this list this morning. He has more cash on hand today than John Kasich, Rand Paul, Carly Fiorina, and Chris Christie individually spent in campaign funds in their entire 2016 effort. Hmm. So Tim's well-funded, I mean, just extremely well-funded, but they had $40 million worth of TV ads, and they're going to cancel all of those ads, and they're they're arguing, and it's probably, uh, to some degree, smart. They're saying there's not been a consolidation of a, a non-Trump candidate. Everybody's fighting for their 5 or 6 or 7%. Uh, percent. You could argue Nikki Lately has gotten up into double figures, 12, 13% in some places. That's what we're told. We're told she's on the rise. Well, I mean, yeah, she's on the rise from, well, she's, yeah, instead of 50 behind Trump, she's only 45 uh, behind right. Trump. But um, but as the voters, well, as a percentage of the voters, as roughly half of the voters seek and search for a Trump alternative, it seems, and, and I'm, I'm being speculative here, it seems that, that Tim's strength, and I'm talking about sunshine and, you know, morning in America and optimism and all these other sorts of things. I mean, it doesn't match the mood of the electorate. I mean, the Republican voter today are still aggravated. They're frustrated. They're bothered. Um, I mean, they're angry. I mean, they really and truly are. They're, they're angry. And, and Tim has tried to uh, offer this sunny optimism as a, a Trump alternative, and it's just misaligned. I mean, it's just not what the voter in the Republican Party today um, I mean, when I ran, I had really smart people give me advice about be optimistic, be positive, be forward-looking, um, and I and I would always hesitate. I'd go like, I don't know, man. I mean, these people I'm talking to don't don't they they, they, don't, they don't sense that. They think I'm 
Uh, they think I have my head buried in the sand and am not accepting reality as reality um, honestly is. I'm not saying this is the end of Tim's campaign. Um, it could be the beginning of the end. Uh, the one advantage Tim Scott has is nobody has clearly distinguished themselves as the Trump alternative. I mean, it was, um, I mean, we, we've never had a coronation for a Trump alternative, but everybody assumed it was going to be Ron DeSantis, right? I mean, DeSantis yep. gets in, Trump's at 41 or two. DeSantis gets in at 33, 34. I mean, it's a horse race. It looks like those two are going to dominate. And when DeSantis gets in, for whatever reason, his message didn't resonate. His candidacy didn't gain um, traction. We've gone through the math, um, the burn rate of the DeSantis campaign to keep him in, in second place has been, wow. I mean, one of the most expensive propositions I can remember um, in American politics saying, I guess you're holding out hope that there will be this consolidation at some point in time around a Trump alternative, and DeSantis still um, could be that. But I've seen recent polling that has Nikki a little bit ahead of DeSantis, but it's not that Nikki has ascended tremendously. DeSantis has declined. Um, it, it seems that Ramaswamy's plateaued. Uh, you know, he was an exciting, kind of a heartthrob kind of candidate, well-spoken, articulate, young, vibrant, um, didn't look like us. Uh, you know, most of us understand that's a big problem in the GOP. Um, you know, not enough minority support. Um, I, it, 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 to me, and this is me, the day before we do a, a Children's Miracle Network mar- uh, radio, th- it seems to be it's over. I mean, it, it really does. I mean, that, I'm not saying Tim's waving the white flag. But, but you know, T- Tim was one of these guys that said, and I don't think Tim, I mean, the one thing about Scott and his campaign and really the Trump campaign, I've not heard a negative word either way. I mean, I've not heard Tim say a negative thing about Trump and his campaign. Likewise, I've not heard Trump yeah. say much negative. Uh, so the others have done what you normally do in campaigns. They go after one another. Um, Tim Scott and Vivek Ramaswamy have kind of been the two candidates that, that offer themselves as alternatives to Trump that have never said, why you shouldn't vote for Trump. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? I mean, Christie does it. Nikki does it. Pence does it. Um, you know, all the others, Asa Hutchinson does it. Nobody pays him any attention, but he does it anyway. But, but Tim and Vivek are saying, I want to be a Trump alternative, but, but, but I like Trump, you know, and I, I think that's where Tim's got himself in a problem. I just, you, you kind of want it both ways, and it's hard to have that in today's uh, politics. Take a break. Back in a few. Some of the conversations we've had this week are what should we do. Um, Josh has not been clear at all. In fact, I think Josh has been somewhat of a sandbagger when it comes to, I mean, he's let me sit over here for an entire week, spill my guts about what I think should be done. Um, in the most passionate way imaginable. Um, I've tried to instigate or initiate uh, a conversation that has allowed people to express themselves as they see fit. The only thing that Josh has kind of um, emphatically agreed with, our opinion on Ukraine has not changed and remains about the same. I mean, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think you would agree with me that I've not shifted, I've not wavered, I've not moved one bit in the world when it comes to American treasure, both in person and and financial, should not be expended in Ukraine. It's just right. not a place um, that, that I believe our interest is mutually served. Uh, I get the humanitarian. I said Monday, I'll say again, 
the butchering in Ukraine is the same as the butchering in Israel. I mean, butchering is butchering is butchering. Right. But but I do believe that there is a higher degree of uncertainty when it comes to America involvement or not in Israel. It's been kind of sort of confirmed. Um, I mean, we sat down yesterday, Monday, talking about football and whatnot. But it's been it's, it's been kind of um. I mean, there's there's nobody saying yeah you're right. But it, it's not been denied that there are now some elite fighting forces in the area of the Mediterranean Sea. Now, now are they on a U.S. aircraft carrier? I don't have any idea. Are they in uh, Tel Aviv? I don't know. Are they are they on the Gaza Israeli? I don't know. But but I'm led to believe now. Multiple reports, NBC News, the Wall Street Journal, New York Times are all reporting that some of these elite fighting forces, and they're saying about 2,000 of the 6,000, are not where they normally are. Now, now, what does that mean? I don't know. Did they all go to the bathroom at the same time? I doubt that. I mean, I, I, I would imagine that they've been placed on a higher level of alert. They've been, um, you know, uh, placed in places around um, some of these trouble spots to secure American interest. I think we agreed yesterday, the three of us, and I don't know that anybody said yay or nay in our listening audience, but we know there are north of 100 American hostages, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood uh, of 100 hostages. Um, There's a debate about how many are Americans and how many aren't Americans. I think we agreed yesterday that if there are Americans being held hostage, we're okay with deploying some of these elite fighting forces whose specialties are rescue missions. Mm -hmm. They're not going there to overthrow a government. They're not going there to advance liberty and freedom, they're going there for one purpose, to get Americans in harm's way out of there. I mean, that's kind of their specialty. Um, the the 2,000, and once again, this is media reports, the 2,000 of the 6,000 elite forces, that's their specialty. I mean, that's what they do. They, they, um, they run these rescue missions in very perilous um, situations and circumstances, I'm 100% for that. I mean, I don't have any problem at all believing that that is an American interest. That's American safety and security at risk. Um, now, you could, you know, I got a buddy of mine who said yesterday, the hell you want to be there anyway? You know, why would you, as an American, I mean, you know that's a very volatile place in the world. I mean, why would you want to be there anyway? Well, I mean, sometimes people have decisions made for them. You know, you may have a business interest. You may, I don't know. I mean, there, there are a lot of, I mean, I'm not saying a lot of reasons, but there are some reasons that, that are valid and justified for someone, an American, having to be in that part of the world, that part of the country. Um, you may be working for a defense contractor. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't I don't have any idea why you would be there. But, um, but, but Josh, I think you would agree with me, and Rev, I think you would agree with me, that, um, that if that's what these fighting uh, elite forces, uh, you know, that's kind of their objectives from day one. That's what they're trained to do all the time is to rescue Americans when Americans get placed in in very controversial and and an important situation. I mean, I, I just think I would Absolutely. be I would be for that, Josh. Yeah. Okay. Um. The other here's the next leg of the prom. Here's the next you know leg of the stool, so to speak. Um. Once again, Wall Street Journal, and, and I, I'll give the 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 traditional media a lot of credit here. I mean, we've always said the Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, New York Times could do the the best journalism imaginable if they chose to not be a propaganda arm for the American political left. But the big debate is Lindsey Graham's point yesterday or Sunday 
on Meet the Press. I mean, that that's what this entire situation um, centers around. Um, Iran wants to exterminate all Jews, and Iran wants to wipe the United States off the map. I, I mean, think their quote is, death to America. Death to America. Yeah. Every Jew is to be slaughtered. No, Pr- is, Pretty clear with their mean, position. No Jewish state and death to America. I mean, they, 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 their, their leadership has made that very clear. That's their objective. Uh, that's their agenda, um, so to speak. So when, when Lindsey Graham says, despite what um, Jared Halpern said yesterday, Lindsey, I mean, they made it look like Lindsey's just this back row senator who showed up in Washington last week. And nothing he says matters in the grand scheme of things. Well, let me tell you this. When there are decisions made about American military um, interventions, Lindsey's one of the 15, 20 people in the room. So he's not just another senator. I mean, he's not the president. He's not commander-in-chief. But I don't know anybody in Washington who has a finger on the pulse of American foreign policy and whether the military is to be involved or not than Senator Lindsey Graham. I mean, he's a, in that world, he's a big deal. I mean, in our world, he's a, a kind of a mixed bag. You know, the most of South Carolinians, well, I'd say, would say he'll have a love and hate relationship. It's more of a um, love, hate, 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 love, hate, 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 love, hate, 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 hate. But, but he gets, keeps getting elected. And I, and I think anybody understands his relevancy when it comes to um, those sorts of situations. So, so on one end, We've got, we've agreed. But I think the majority of people listening to my voice today would agree that if there are, and we know there are, if there are Americans being held hostage, we owe them everything in our power to get them out of there safely. That's in this hand. On the other end, you've got, you know, Iraq, excuse me, Iran, and it's hostility toward Israel, it's hostility toward America. So there's a lot of space in between there. You know, um, I, I got friends of mine. I got a Jewish friend of mine in particular gets frustrated at me when he says, so, so you believe that the only way to eradicate fanatical Islamic terrorism is to cut the head off the snake? Yes. And you believe Iran is the head of the snake? Yes. But you don't want to be involved in, in, in launching a military attack against Iran? No. 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 I, I do not want to be involved in launching a military attack. So is that hypocritical? I mean, is that is that sympathizing to terrorism? I mean, that that's where it gets real mushy and complicated. Josh, do you believe that Iran is the head of the snake when it comes to funding Hamas, Hezbollah, ISIS, Al Qaeda, some of these um, fanatical Islamic terrorist organizations? Uh, the truth is, I don't know, but probably. Okay, it would not surprise you. No, if the Ayatollah and some of the um, some of the Iranian treasure were making its way into the coffers of these anti-American, anti-Israel, anti-Western in general, um, fanatical Islamic um, terrorist organizations. But but I'm telling you, I'm, I'm very comfortable, and, and some aren't. I'm very comfortable in saying they get their money from Iran. Iran is anti-America, anti-Israel, but I don't want us being a part of launching some aerial attack on Tehran. That's just an escalation that I think you better be just unbelievably, unbelievably sensitive of because, guys, that could be. I mean, I, I don't want to be I – mean, I'm not some guy in a room making these decisions, but that could be the beginning of a Third World War. I mean, that really and truly could. I mean, if we were to launch a missile off of one of our aircraft carriers 
in the Mediterranean Sea that landed in Tehran and killed Iranian terrorists. That is that that is the that is the the the, the impetus that forces China, Russia, um, NATO, the United Nations. I mean that that it really becomes a global conflict once that happens. Take a break. Back in a few minutes. 843-661-0937 is our number. Josh, you got a, you got a, a, I don't know, an opinion you want to express. That's, that's different than anything you did last week. But <laughs> yeah. have at it. Well, yeah. Um, Are you running for office, Josh? Not yet. Are you afraid not. to give an opinion, Josh? He said not yet. He mm-hmm. said he's not okay. yet running for office. No, you I'm catch not. That? I'm not running for office. No, no aspirations to get in government. Okay. Um, I was uh, thinking about this over the weekend because last week you talked about, you know, like basically my stance going into this and being kind of. Uh, Nobody uh, knows. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, well, I, I don't really know the geopolitical nature of our relationship with Israel. I don't know what benefit they provide. Uh, so I, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's the best to exercise caution instead of going all in on fighting Iran, Hamas, whatever. Maybe that's their problem, not ours. That was my you know, I was comparing it directly to our interest in Ukraine and with Russia. That 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 was the perspective I was coming at at. And you came back with, well, the difference is Russia isn't saying death to America, but Hamas is. And that's hard to, you know, that's hard to argue with. So I was like, you know what, maybe you're right. But over the weekend, I was thinking about it. And I thought, well, you know, Hamas is saying death to America, uh, but they're not saying death to Russia or death to China, even though I'd, I'd say I think in the Muslim faith we're all equally infidels. So why are they saying death to America but not death to Russia and China? And I think it's probably because America is backing Israel. We know that they have uh, disagree, you know, they have contention with Israel. And, you know, some people are saying because they just hate the Jewish people that much, which is probably True, but also you can't ignore that there is the history where, you know, the Palestinians do feel they were displaced from their land. And and it's a complex historical issue. But, I, you know, it begs the question, which, again, I'm not saying this is what we should do. Kind of like how you said uh, Iran is probably like the head of the snake and to defeat Islamic terrorism would be to cut off the head of the stake. Yet we still shouldn't do that because it could start a world war. So this is not what I'm saying we should do, but it begs the question, what would happen if America was like, all right, we wash our hands of Israel, they're on their own, you know, you, you, you're you all on your own. We're, we're not helping any of you, but we're certainly not going to be one-sided. Well, I mean, do you think that might solve that issue? Well, I, mean, I can't answer to why Iran, or excuse me, I can't answer to why the Muslim world is as invested in destroying America as they are China or, or Russia. That's kind of an interesting point. Um, they don't say death to China or death to Russia, but the majority of Russians and the majority of Chinese would be infidels in their you know belief of religion, a religious belief. Russia nor China occupied and you know or, or had a strong presence. I mean it, it, the, the, the exporting of the American empire. I mean, we basically stayed in the Middle East for 20 years with an enormous uh, military presence. Right. I mean, there's no doubt about that. I mean, Russia nor China has, um, has been embedded militarily in that part of the world for as long 
as they have. Here's the concern that all of us should have. And we can have disagreements on the periphery. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But, but the net result of the world around us is a China-Iran-Russia alliance that wishes to supplant the U.S. as the preeminent superpower in the world today. Uh, the, the U.S. is an embodiment of Western culture, Western society, Western um, value. Now, now, China and Russia, here's where it gets complicated. China and Russia are natural allies with the West in opposition to fanatical Islam. I mean, you know, Russia doesn't want a lot of buildings being blown up in Moscow. Uh, China and Beijing, I mean, they, you know, they're not embracing Islamic jihadists by any stretch of the imagination. So there's some, uh, I mean, there's kind of a commonality there. When you look at uh, America, Russia, and China, I mean, if we all, if the leader of Russia, the leader of China, the leader of America sat down in a room, they would all agree that Islamic jihadists are to be worried about, be concerned with. Um, but but you're right. The, I think the difference, and I, once again, I'm not a Muslim. I'm not living in the Middle East. I don't have any idea um, how prominent the American presence has been. But, but I would imagine that there's some Muslim in Afghanistan or Qatar or Iran or Iraq that has had a member of their family killed by the American military. Probably. Not the Russian military. Not the Chinese military. So if you're fanning the flames, I mean, if, you're, if your religion, if fanatical Islam or the interpretation of the Koran by fanatical Islam says that death to America is, I mean, it's, it's, it's what we should believe in. It is the goal or ambition we should try to execute. Um, and... And you've got family members or friends who were killed by not the Russian military, not the Chinese military, but rather the American military. It, it, I don't want to say it adds fuel to the fire, but it kind of does add fuel um, to the fire. So it's complicated. I mean, there's no doubt um, that that Russians and Chinese are as worried about Islamic jihadists as America is, but but the jihadists don't seem to target. China or Russia like they do America and maybe it's the, the the sensibility of freedom and liberty and the the expression of democracy and the fact that Islam is somewhat of a faith of bondage I mean I, you know I once again I can't I, I love these people say I know the answer no, no you don't no you don't you don't know the answer I mean we, we suspect these things we've studied some of these things we we try to understand and articulate our reasoning there but 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 I think when when fanatical Islam and Islamic jihadists become um, k- kind of um, front and center, and we know that happens on, on occasions. I don't know why, but they'll go dormant for a while, and then all of a sudden, you know, some of our intelligence says that you better be real aware now. You better be on guard as we speak. But it's not like Russia says, well, we don't have anything to worry about. I mean, there's nothing to see here with fanatical Islam. There's nothing to here to see. I mean, in Beijing, I got to believe that when Beijing um, gets credible intelligence that says, you know, Islamic jihadists are on the move, I mean, they become a little bit leery and, and, and wary and concerned. But, but you're right. It's not death to China, death to Russia, despite them being considered um, infidels. Let's go to the phone, then we'll take a break. Larry in the PD. Good morning, Larry. Good morning. Uh, I got a couple of ways you might could look at this. And the question would be, 
if we if we left Israel alone or whatever, what would happen? And just the question we have to ask ourselves is: Is the world better off with a weaker Israel and a stronger Palestine, a weaker Israel and a stronger Iran, or not? You know, are are, are we better when Israel is stronger? Are they a a suppressing force in that area? Then the other thing that you've got to think about is the reason that the Islamists pick on democracies is because it's lucrative, because we go falling all over ourselves to give them money, to beg them to love us, and our enemies, like Russia and China, are way more inclined to send weapons and money under the table to say, yeah, yeah, go ahead and yeah, poke the bear over there, guys, because, you know, it helps us in the long run if they're weaker as you kind of nip away at their heels. And the reason that they don't go after Russia and China like that is because Russia and China can act unilaterally, and they would come with overwhelming force, and America wouldn't stop it. So it it, it, it is complex, but it really benefits the Muslim countries, the, the terrorist countries, to be the way they are and to have picked the enemies that they've picked. And if it were advantageous for it to be a different way, it would be a different way. But you go... You go blowing up stuff in China, China will lay it to waste. And the United States is too timid to get involved. We won't stop China. We won't. We're not getting involved to stop Russia. You know, we're, we're throwing some money at Ukraine, but that's it so far, so far. But, you know, it just wouldn't benefit. And, and what does Ukraine do? They pretend to be a democracy to win our sympathy, right? So, you know, you're not going to get a democracy out of a Muslim country. So they've got to appeal to the dictators, and they play it to the T. Well, explain. Thanks, Larry. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937. Um, what did he say? It's complicated. I mean, it's extremely <laughs> – uh, I told you. I mean, I, I went on a journey last week, and it's a little bit like the Fed. I mean, I get ankle deep in the Fed, and I think I begin to understand it. I get knee deep. Okay, I really understand it. Now I get way steep, and I didn't know as much as I did when I began. Uh, I try to use that. I mean, it, it, this is a similar. I mean, if you start trying to really intellectually understand Israel-Palestine, the Gaza Strip, the West Bank, I mean, you, you'll, you you better have more than a week. Take a break. Back in a few. Welcome back, 843-661-0937. One of our in-house talents is not in-house today. He's out and about. <laughs> Um, talent yeah palmer of mudflap and palmer i think is with us right now palmer you there yes sir we are here and you know talent is a really strong word to use to describe us <laughs> well i mean that, that's what that's what i get referred and i'm sure you do as well in this in this <laughs> yes, business sir. in this business you know, of radio you know we tell the salespeople around here don't mess with the talent don't well, speak I mean, to them unless you're spoken to palmer but they don't say very <laughs> talented they, they don't say very talented they just say talent so right. they, talent. They, yeah not what level it is and the salespeople don't listen to us either no <laughs> not 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 at all but but you're out and about i mean th this is the beginning of the children's miracle network um you, you're participating in kind of the kickoff part of this where are you and what are you doing my man well, we are out at uh, Krispy Kreme on Palmetto. Uh, we're going to be doing our show, um, the Mudflat and Palmer Show, all morning long out here. And we're kicking it off with a jail-a-thon. We have a bunch of different folks. Uh, we have, like, the hoity-toity of McLeod Hospital. They, we have literally every major president, vice president, going to be participating in our little jail-a-thon. We have our, our jail set up right out here by the road. And uh, you can make your donations when you're rolling through here. Um, and it's just been a fun time, and everybody's just having a great time. Brian Braddock just got out, as a matter of fact. 
He did really well raising some money, and uh, now's a chance for everybody to kind of roll through Krispy Kreme if you happen to be in the area to make a donation. We do have people in the line where you can make, you know, a donation, a $5 donation. We'll get you a free dozen donuts here today. So, I mean, it's, yeah, I'm all in. Plus, they've got those Scooby-Doo donuts, which we snatched ours early, but they do still have some left. So if you're looking, you know, maybe for something fun for the office or for the kids, as my daughter told me, you're not allowed to come home unless you have these donuts. Good deal. <laughs> we, 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 we snagged them early. And the two of you and the two of us will be kind of, you know, tag teaming for the next three days to raise money for the Children's Miracle uh, Network, excuse me, the Children's Miracle Network on behalf of McLeod Children's Hospital. I'm sure you'll see more of me than you care, and I'll see more of you than I care Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Fair enough? That's a thousand percent accurate, Ken. And uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, tomorrow, uh, fr- uh, Thursday, and Friday, uh, we'll all be out at McLeod Children's Hospital uh, at different points throughout the day. Uh, you'll be able to hear them here live, Glory, uh, Star, I believe. And uh, we're all going to be doing uh, our annual CMN Radiothon where it's, you know, the, really the community's chance to give back to McLeod Children's Hospital because even if you've never been directly affected, you know, and you have healthy kids and everything is fine, chances are you know somebody in this community that has rolled in or out of McLeod's NICU or PICU. Uh, it, it's really stunning every time we talk to people uh, here. We were talking to Brian Braddock, and, you know, he, he had a child uh, that went through um, the PICU, as a matter of fact. So, again, you're donating back. All the money stays here, and uh, we can't, and McLeod can't survive without you. Very well explained. Appreciate you, my man, and we'll see one another tomorrow morning. Thank you, Ken. I appreciate you. Thank you. Palmer of Mudflap and Palmer, our country music affiliate. I think it's Cat Country, if I'm That's not right. mistaken. That's right. In the, uh, in the PD and, and Sumter area, you can listen to 99.3 and hear the Mudflat and Palmer show. And throughout the morning, they're doing the jailathon. And this is kind of a community, excuse me, this is a, a, a company-wide commitment that Community Broadcasters has made in conjunction with McLeod to support uh, the Children's Hospital, raise as much as we can. So once again, if you've got a political fix or an itch you need scratched, you better do it um, today because politics, as far as we're concerned, is off limits tomorrow, Thursday, and Friday. Do we have a call? Uh, yes. Bree's getting his politics fix okay. <laughs> one more time this week. Bree, you still there? Yeah. Um, yeah, what I was talking about, it was just amazing to me how they got both sides kind of on the same page. You know, like I said, I was watching the interview of the Democrats. If you just changed the names, it would have sounded like Republicans. They were talking about freedom. They were talking about liberty. They were talking about a criminal. I mean, everything that you and I have said about them and Biden, they were saying about us. And then, then it reminded me of a conversation I had with one of my clients. And uh, he asked me uh, why I was the way I was. I said, well, I, I feel like that there are people out there taking our freedoms. And uh, he goes, what freedoms have you had taken from you, Breeze? And last night, the, um, asked the Democrat why she was like she was. She goes, because I want to keep my freedoms. And the Republican guy goes, well, I feel pretty free. I don't look, I haven't lost any freedoms. Where, where are we taking you? The point I'm making is, there, everybody was making the same arguments. <laughs> I just found it curious. But, you know, we, I was listening to Larry. He's dead all right. That was one of the things I was going to call him. But, yeah, I switched on the fly, you know, kid. But 
there is obvious uh, that, you know, what do missionaries do? They go, missionary, Christian missionaries, go into places like Africa, China, Russia, North Korea with Bibles. And they risk their lives because they're defenseless over there. Don't think for one second that these terrorist groups like Hamas, Hezbollah, the Taliban, give what iota about God or Islam. They don't. They're just another daggone bunch of thugs. They're just a lot more crude than our government trying to get more power. They go into Africa with a bunch of guns. They are warlords tell them it's in the name of Islam and to kill anybody that doesn't convert to Islam. But all they want to do is convert to be under their thumb. But my question then becomes, though, if we do attack Iran, does China and Russia said put, put boots on the ground and attack where I don't think they would? But I see what I do think. I think what we need to figure out is who benefits the most? Now, on a simple level, you would obviously say the person, the, the country that benefits the most is China. But what group, what people that are running the world are benefiting from this? Because every time you have a war, now, and this is something that Republicans and Democrats should understand, but they don't, all of us lose freedoms. And the thing that a lot of these guys, if you think the same way, if you and I are thinking that the Democrats take our freedoms, and the Democrats are thinking that the Republicans take their freedoms, well, either we're all wrong or what? Maybe is Republicans and Democrats are taking our freedoms. Maybe the, the people need to realize who the real enemy is. Maybe all of us around the world need to realize who the real enemy is. But they've done a great job of making everybody think that we need to be fighting these different factions. When in reality, there's a you know there's there are some people that are pulling these puppet strings on us, and they're playing us like a cheating fork. And I really believe us. I have no doubt in my mind, though, that they're a group of globalist leaders that you may not even know who they are. You may know who some of them are, but the real leaders you may never know that are hoping for all of these things we're hoping against. Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937. Let's get real controversial for a second. And I'm not saying I believe this, but I want to throw it out there. Josh, I need you to help me here. I know you're answering the phone and doing some other things, but and I want to get Rev in here on this. So, so one of the tenets of Islam is clear. Right, and I don't know a percentage of um, Islamists or Muslims believe this, but but I mean, from what I've read, a percentage. I mean, I, I don't know who to trust. When it's is it ten percent? Is it thirty percent? Is it fifty percent that believe that it's their responsibility to either convert you or kill you? Right. Right. I mean, you know, well, again, I don't have any idea yes. what that percentage is. Right. Um. And I mean, obviously, the Islamic jihadists believe in that tenet. I mean, they ascribe to to that tenet. But in the basis of that, a belief in a religion that their God is correct and the rest of the religions are wrong. Yeah, isn't that similar to Christianity? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, 
you, you convert. The Great Commission is to make believers of all, right? Correct? Correct. I mean, I, you know, I've never been, I mean, it, growing up in a Baptist church, and, and I, you know, I'm, once again, I'm just opening this can of worms. I want to see where, where this goes. Growing up in a Baptist church, I was trained and taught and, and, and you know, conditioned to believe that if, you know, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me. And if you don't accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're going to hell. I mean, that, you know, that's the tenet of my, of my faith. From what, I, from what I've read, I mean, I read something this morning. Um, the Jews, from my interpretation, I mean, they don't mind other religions to exist. They don't believe that they're the only ones serving an almighty God. I mean, I guess they believe there's still a prophet to come. You know, Christ was a, a great example for humanity to base their fundamental premises and values and, and, and the concept of life, so to speak. I mean, if we could all live like Jesus, the world would be a much better place. I get that. I mean, the, the, the Jews believe that. The Christian believes that he's Lord and Savior. And if you don't put your faith in him, if you don't accept him, you're going, you're going to hell. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is the tenet of Islam is convert or die. The, the tenet of Christianity is convert or go to hell. Is that, is that unique? I mean, are those two faiths unique in that way? I mean, they're basically, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make light of something. You ready? My way or the highway? I mean, the, 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 the Islamic jihadists basically say, it's my way or the highway, and I'm taking care of business today. The Christian says, it's my way or the highway, and God one day will take care of business when he dooms you to to immortal hell. So what are you, I'm, I'm not quite clear what you're asking. Is it, are you asking is like there's some more nobility to one or well, the I mean, other? No, or, or is that a similar characteristic in the two faiths? Yeah. Could, could that be why Islam um, finds Christianity so offensive? I mean, I, I don't know what Jews believe fundamentally. I mean, I, I'm not a Jew. I, I, I didn't grow up in a synagogue. I, I, I didn't, you know what I mean? I, I just, I've never studied Judaism. I've not heard all my life Judeo-Christian values. And I, and I wrote something on Facebook last week. I'll, I'll stand by that. I think the wheel is a great invention. Fire is a great discovery. But the Judeo-Christian ethic has contributed more to our humanity, our charitable spirit, our caring for our neighbor. I mean, there's something about that ethic. But that ethic is not all about Christianity, right? I mean, the Jews ascribe to the same ethic that we do. Be kind to your neighbor. Be, be decent to, uh, to your friends. Help people that need to be helped. Lift up people that need to be lifted up. It's just the long-haired guy. I mean, we've said this before, you know, there's this fork in the road. It's a big fork. I mean, it's, it's a very important fork if you believe one, one or the other. But, but we're basically... I mean, I'm a Christian, and and we're basically saying, ah, we're not going to cut your head off, but we're going to doom you to hell for eternity. D are there other faiths that ascribe to that basic tenet? And and I know I'm being a bit secular when I say this, but I'm trying to be. It, it's my way or the highway. I mean, the Islamic jihadists basically say, it, it's my job to convert you, and if you don't convert, it's my job to kill you. I mean, you are an infidel. And you must perish now. And I will be rewarded in heaven. I will be martyred one day. I will, I will have rewards and, and, and virgins and all that. You know what I mean? I mean if I, if I, the more infidels I kill, the better reward I'm going to get. No Christian has ever been taught that. I mean, that, that, that's a very unique 
difference. I mean, the, 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 the Islamic jihadist believes that they're going to be rewarded one day for how many infidels, you know, they rid the planet of. But, but Christians do have this kind of, kind of a my way or the highway concept. I, I just, I'm, once again, I'm getting into psychobabble, but I'm, I'm trying to do this. Let's go to the phone. Sam in Cross Hill. Good morning, Sam. Uh, good morning, guys. Um, you really got me thinking this morning. Um, back when I was. Hey, Sam, can uh, we do I, this? I, Sam, can we do yeah. this? Can we put you yes, on sir. hold? I mean, I, I, I got real long winded and I, I, we need to take a break. And we actually have a Ryan Smells right after But the But break, if you too. got a few moments, I want you to hold on because you always have something interesting to add to the conversation. I'm sorry, but but I, I lost track of time. Back in just a few minutes. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. We'll stop with Hamas, Hezbollah, Iran, Israel, the United States, China, Russia talk and talk um, about something the American government has to figure out. That's who's going to be its next Speaker of the House. Fox News Radio's Ryan Schmelz is in our nation's capital. Ryan, it looks to me like Jordan is in a better place today than he was yesterday because Armed Service Committee Chairman Mike Rogers pledged his support. Um, is that a big deal? Yeah, that, that, that's absolutely a big deal. And, and after Mike Rogers pledged his support, you had a number of other members decide to fall in and decide in, to vote for Jim Jordan as well. So he has definitely uh, racked up a number of, of different supports from uh, different members of the, of the party. So it's definitely gone in his favor over the last couple hours. But that does not mean that he still has a long ways to go because there are still a number of holdouts. Ryan, is it for sure we're going to have a floor vote today? Yes, we are expected to have a floor vote at noon today, yes. So the Republicans are willing to risk having a floor vote without knowing absolutely certain that Jordan has the, the 217 required? It is exactly what's going to happen. I think a lot of this, some of this is to get them on the record and see where they stand on Jim Jordan as Speaker of the House, but also just to, to, to maybe move forward the process. You know, if Jim Jordan gets up there, and he doesn't have the votes to become a speaker, and, and it's in the teens with, with how many Republican holdouts there are, there's a good chance they may just have to go back to the drawing board and pick another candidate. That's something that was floated to me. Uh, they did not talk about any specific back, back, uh, uh, backup plan yesterday in their conference meeting, but it is something that you know Republicans have said, you know, hey, if, if he doesn't have the votes, we got to move on. You're in D.C., not Las Vegas, but you care to give odds? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it looks like it might be hard for him to get past at least one round. But I think one thing that a member picked, uh, pointed out to me is that if the holdouts in round one are in the single digits, then we likely will, uh, you know, there's a good chance that he's able to flip them at some point and, 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 and get them to vote for him or work something out where they can vote president or something like that so that he still has the votes to win. But if not, if it's in the teens, then it's likely we could be looking at another backup plan. Very well explained. Ron, thank you for your time. Have a great day. Hey, you too. Thank you. Thank you. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Sam and Cross Hills okay. hanging on. Hey, Sam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very good show this morning. And like I started a while ago, uh, you really got me thinking a lot. Uh, I grew up, my, my first 30 years of life uh, was from the early 50s until the early 80s. And uh, along the early years, uh, when I got to really appreciating music, there were a couple of songs that came along. One of them was Ahab the Arab. I don't know if you remember that particular song. And another one was Midnight at the Oasis. And that's about the only two things I knew much about, the Middle East and the desert and all that kind of stuff. But um, I'll tell you, uh, uh, you, the question was, why why does Iran hate America? Well, let's, let's go back. And Ken, you probably will know more about this than I do when you do your research. 
But uh, there was a, one. There was this guy. There was this Arab, and he was out in the desert one day. His name was Ahab Jediah Clampett. He shot into the desert, and this black crude came bub- bubbling up, and that's where the troubles all began. And um, for, fast forward to the reign of the Shah of Iran from late '69, I believe. My little brief research to the early '80s. He had Iran on the move. It was really heading towards a a, a dominant uh, national force, but he was also an autocratic and very oppressive dictator, uh, at, which led to his um, to the revolution where he was overthrown. And that's when the hardline uh, Islamic uh, folks got in got in charge. And I think the reason that uh, the Iranians hate America is because we were very much involved in supporting, as I understand it, supporting the Shah's Shah's reign. And so I think a, a lot of that goes there. And there was a South Carolina connection to Saudi Arabia way back in those days, too. Wasn't Governor John West an ambassador to Saudi Arabia? I think Arabia? you're right. I'd forgotten about that. I think you're right. Yes, yes. So we had a real interesting connection there uh, with our with our state and, all, and that whole process. And talking about the, the religions, um, I believe, you know, it's just like the denominations of Christianity. Our country is built on a Judeo-Christian tradition. Just as in our country, we have a lot of different denominations. We can go from the more strict uh, Pentecostals, uh, the Church of God folks, uh, which very stringent rules that they put over their uh, congregations, to the more free-willing congregations, I would say, Presbyterians, um, maybe Methodists and, and whatnot. But anyway, so what would this country be like if, a very strong conservative uh, uh, Christian uh, denomination was running the country. I think that's what we've got over in Iran. The uh, the oppressive, the hardline, the Islamic jihadists are running that country, and the mullahs basically control it. I don't think Islam, the true religion of Islam, calls for the uh, uh, the conversion to all people to that particular faith. It's just these. Uh, these jihadists, these these mullahs, that particular line. Or, but anyway, Sam, let me ask you a question. Start. I want to get your take on this. Are all fanatics jihadists? I think there are different degrees of fanaticism. I do too. I do too. Thank thank you, Sam. Appreciate that. That's kind of okay. Let's 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 stay here for a second. Um, what if America was run? by strict fundamentalist Baptist. I mean, what what if a prerequisite of being an elected official was a strict, almost legalistic interpretation of God's word, the Old and New Testament? I mean, Christianity is, I mean, it's the New and Old Covenant, right? Josh, I mean, we had a debate about this um, last week, the continuation of the of the Old Covenant, covenant the birth of Christ, the New Covenant. Um, what if the country, what if America was run I mean, we know that Hamas and, and Hezbollah are run by what? Fanatical Islamists, correct? Right. I mean, that, that, there's no doubt about that. We don't know what percentage of Iranians ascribe to fanatical Islam. I, I, I don't know enough about Islam to say, okay, um, here's, 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 um, here's Islam lot. Here's, you know, moderate Islam. Here's extremist. Here's another degree of extremist. And here's, you know, fanatic. And here's jihadist. Um, what if the country will run... What if America was run by, uh, as a prerequisite to get elected, you had to pledge your loyalty to a fanatical, or at least a 
a, a legalistic view of, of Christianity. What would the nation look like? I mean, that's just kind of an interesting hypothetical. I obviously don't know the answer to that by any stretch of the imagination. The, the point I try to make in the last segment is there is a similarity to Islam and Christianity. That the similarity is, and I'm, I'm being a bit secular when I say this, my way or the highway. Right? I mean, I have no idea how many how many Muslims believe it's their responsibility to take matters in their own hands if they can't convert you. I mean, I, I don't have any idea. I mean, if, if Josh is a Muslim and I'm a Christian, and Josh comes up and tries to intellectually convince me that my way is wrong and his is right, and after an hour at Starbucks, Josh says, I give up. I mean, you, you, you're kind of... I mean, you believe what you believe, you intellectually rationalized it, and you stand there, and I respect that. Or does Josh go get his machete and cut my head off? I mean, I don't know the answer to that question. How many of those people are floating around the Middle East? How many of those people have made their way across the, the southern border? You don't know. I don't know. Nobody knows. And I just think that's an interesting proposition. Josh and I meet at Starbucks. Josh is a devout Muslim. I'm a devout Christian. Josh tries to convince me that Allah is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by Allah. And I try to convince Josh that, no, Jesus is, is the way. And we have this intellectual debate. He's entrenched in his faith. I'm entrenched in my faith. I understand why I believe what I believe. He understands when we, when we shake hands and say good riddance, does Josh go? I know I don't. But does Josh go to the trunk of his car, get a machete, and follow me home and cut my head off when I try to go in, in at 5 o'clock after work? I mean, that, you know, that, that's a weird proposal, but isn't it real? Yeah. I mean, isn't there, isn't there a certain percentage of jihadist, fanatical Islamist who believe that is their obligation? That's their responsibility. That's what they're called to do. I met this guy at Starbucks and explained his faith in Jesus as well as I could explain my faith in Allah. He's a danger to the world. And I got to do God's work. And I got to take that matter into my... Isn't that Hamas? I mean, isn't that Hezbollah? Let's go to the phone. Rick in Sumter listening to WDXY. Hello, Rick. Hey, good morning. Hey, Rick. Um, fascinating subject, Ken. No, just that brought to mind, I used to give an assignment in my class where I took the creation stories, and I used Aztecs, the Eastern Woodland Indians, and Christianity. And, you know, the Aztecs were born out of violence and a volcano. You made one of them mad, they threw you in the volcano to appease their god. The Eastern Woodlands, you know, they were just kind of, they popped out of the mud. So when you appeared on their soil, oh, hey, dude, what's up? Christians were made in the image of a loving God. And what you mentioned earlier, the Great Commission. And that was actually used, you know, when as part of Manifest Destiny. We have an obligation to take this land, these savage people who are living here, we have an obligation to turn them into Christians. And if they get in our way, if they are getting in the way of God's work, well, we got to kill them. It was even used as a, you know, a rationale for slavery. Well, yeah, it's terrible, but we are giving these people eternal life by taking them out of their savagery and turning them into Christian believers. So it is justified in that way. And only the monotheistic religions, 
Judaism, Christianity, and Islam have that final judgment, you know, as part of their tenets of faith. Most of the others are polytheistic, and they basically, if you wash out of this life, they recycle you through reincarnation, and you get another chance. Thank you, Rick. Interesting, very interesting, and a kind of a historical context there. Let's take a break. We'll be back. Keep the phones coming. I think this is kind of an interesting and, and very, you ready? Intellectually stimulating conversation uh, on our last political show of this week. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Callers on the phone. Let's go there. Paul in Sumter listening to WDXY. Morning, Paul. You're on. Yeah, I was wanting to comment on the fellow that, that spoke about uh, Iran and how he supported the regime that uh, um, kind of built Iran, but then the hardcore extremists uh, took over. The problem with comparing these hardcore extremists to hard-shell Baptists or, or, or Pentecostals and what would our government look like is we have to remember our First Amendment, our right to worship and separation of church and state. So we are built on individualism. Iran is not. And so it doesn't matter if you have hard-shell Baptists, hard-shell Pentecostal, anyone you consider ultra-conservative, we are built on individualism. So it's a whole different concept than religion. We like to say that religion dictates our motives. No, it does not as a government. We, we have individualism. Individuals come together, and they make decisions. We are not a Christian nation. We are a nation that is for all religions. We might have Judeo-Christian concepts, but we are a nation that's for all religions. All parties can come together and work things out. That's what separates us from Iran. So it's very offensive to be considered uh, uh, similar to extreme Islam uh, of politicians that want to overthrow governments, that want to overthrow nations, because the concept couldn't be different. The, the argument you're making is we have a constitution they do not. We have a constitution that celebrates inalienable rights, um, individual rights, God's, uh, you know, rights given not by government, but rather uh, Almighty God. Fair enough. Thank you for the call. Appreciate it. Kind of an interesting, uh, he's right. I mean, you know, the, um, the, the American Constitution is, and we've said this over and over and over again, is a celebration of human freedom and liberties. Not, I mean, it, it's basically, I mean, I, I've said it this way, and I think this is a very proper way to say it. The intent of the Constitution was not to protect government from its people, but rather people from its government. If government were to get zealous in some sort of religious doctrine, uh, the Constitution protected individuals from the controlling arm or the controlling personality of a, uh, of a government that may or may not get um, more or less religious in its, um, in its way of doing things, in its way of governing or, 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 or you know, uh, maintaining civil control or civic control over the mass. Let's go to the phone. Mike in Darlington. Good morning, Mike. Uh, good morning. Uh, this is a great show. Uh, I, uh, but uh, I, I would preface everything with you've done a great job describing, describing the Gordian knot that is the Middle East. And But uh, South Carolina is home to the oldest, uh, I believe, the oldest uh, Jewish uh, community in the New World. And uh, Charleston, I, I, they were here long before uh, the uh, influx of Jewish people came to New York and 
finally made their way out to LA and to Miami. Um, but, uh, and, and, uh, the Russians have been, I'm, the Russians have, haven't always been nice to the Muslims. I think you, uh, left out the Chechnyan war. That was a brutal, ruthless thing that the Russians did to Chechnya. But the Chechnyans were um, killing uh, hundreds of uh, Russian school children, and that kind of, uh, I, I suppose, ticked them off. Plus, I think there was some oil involved. And as far as the Middle East, part of the problem is the English, they they created these artificial countries. I mean, Iraq didn't exist as a country. It was cobbled together. I mean, it had been uh, virtually destroyed since uh, Genghis Khan came through, uh, I guess, back in the uh, four, uh, 14th century or something. And they the, the completely destroyed Baghdad and the water system and tore up the canals and everything and killed everybody. And uh, it was just a wasteland until the British rebuilt it and opened up the canals again and uh, uh, dug the wells and all. And uh, then, uh, but it's been a problem ever since because it's a hodgepodge. There's no uh, continuing thing, continuing unifying concept except the Quran. And as far as the Quran, there's a big difference between the Quran and the. Uh, and uh, our Christian Bible, and even the Jewish Torah to some extent, because you cannot read, and I read it in and in <laughs> many years ago, the uh, the Quran, uh, you cannot go uh, two pages without, uh, you must, uh, if they don't convert, strike them head and hand and foot. You know, that that's just... Uh, Kill them and maim them. That's all there is to it, and it's a it's a very unforgiving religion. And the difference between uh, the Christian and the Jewish and the and the Muslim religion is that we have forgiveness. Forgiveness is a cornerstone of our of our faith in Jesus Christ. The other uh, religions you have to earn your way in. And uh, we're granted grace and uh, and mercy. That's uh, kind of foreign to most uh, of the other monotheistic uh, religions because you have to make some kind of sac- sacrifice. You have to really be uh, hard shell, uh, sure enough. Now it becomes kind but of a duology. Know, Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. Let's go to the phone. Someone else is there. Let's try to get them in before we take our next break. Joe in Florence. Good morning, Joe. You're on. Hello, Joe. We don't have Joe. No. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. Yeah, uh, I want to. I want to say something before we go to the next break, sure. if I could. Sure. So you're in control of the break, my man. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Throw your weight around, Josh. Yeah. But here's what I want to say. I think you know when we get into this topic of Christianity. You know, what we're doing right now is everyone is comparing, uh, you know, Christianity to other religions. And I think there's kind of the issue I take with that is like, okay, so you brought up how, well, uh, both Islam and Christianity are my way or the highway. So what's the difference between them? Well, Christianity is true. That's, That's the difference. And I get, you know, it's like, that's what I believe. 
But, you know, so when we talk, like, I forget his name, but he brought up, like, Manifest Destiny and and slavery and whatnot and how the Christians then justified doing that. And we can argue why that's wrong or whatever, but the point, like, I think uh, us coming over here and preaching our religion to the Indians was ultimately better for them. And, yeah, like, they got they got slaughtered, but it wasn't like we came over here and they were a bunch of hippies chilling out. Like, they were savages. You know, they were killers. And Hold on to that. Let's, let's take a break. You got a phone call there to catch. But let's take a break. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. But we will participate in the religious indoctrination of, of America. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's kind of a, anytime you put your faith on the on the table, um, it becomes complicated. It just does. Uh, Josh said something a second ago that I think is, is, is a bit provocative. You know, Josh said, I know. And then he backed up and said, well, I mean, I believe, you know, based on my faith. And um, at what point do you believe so much in your faith that you know? I can't answer that. I mean, I've answered that. I've settled that introspectively with yours truly, but I can't answer at what point does your religion and your faith become so believable that you're sure. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example. When you fly an airplane into the side of a building, knowing you're going to die instantaneously, that's pretty sure. I mean, right? I mean, I mean, how sure do you have to be about your faith to fly a plane load of people, including yourself, into the side of a building? Um, and we're saying, about, well, how crazy do you have to be? Well, I mean, me, that's not how crazy you have to be, but rather how believing in your faith you have to be to think that rationally uh, makes any sense. Dr. Will Bolt is with us. Before we get to the esteemed professor who puts his career on the line every Tuesday morning when he comes, um, I want to go through one of the uh, one of the worldly issues, not supernatural and not, um, not spiritual, but rather health insurance. Health insurance is complicated. Everyone's situation is different. There are multiple options to choose from. When planning health insurance for you and your family, you need to consult an expert. Christian Levis at Real Choice Healthcare has been helping people get the right coverage at the best rate for years and years and years and years. The best thing to do is go uh, to the website, realchoicehealthcare.com, or call the number. You ready? 839-888-3970. Let's do that again. 839-888-3970, or go to Real choicehealthcare.com. If you're under the age of 65, you're reasonably healthy. You don't need maternity coverage and some of the other bells and whistles that some folks don't really need. You can save um, 30 to 60 percent. It's, it's kind of an interesting prospect. It's an interesting idea. You, um, if, you're, if you're out there and you feel like you're paying too much for health insurance, call Christian. Um, he can open some doors and provide other opportunities do we have a call we do okay because i want to get bold in on this because he's a early american history uh professor chairman of the early (laughs) excuse me the history department at francis marion and i want to the point i want when did religion i mean when when our founders drew up the constitution the declaration of end of independence how much did they think about religion and how religious were our founders dr bold i'll start we'll we'll go to the phone in two seconds but give me your take on that uh, most of these guys, they they remember the wars of religion over there in Europe. They they sort of grew up on 
oppression, people being <laughs> tortured and burned at the stake for their religious views. And so the the object was, right, the government's not going to be involved. And Jefferson famously said, we're, we're going to build a wall. There's going to be a separation between church and state. There isn't going to be any type of a national religion. You're not going to be taxed to support it. You're going to be able to be free to do what you want on a Sunday morning. And this was a, in stark contrast uh, to many other parts of the world <clears throat> at the time. And so it's the genius of America and what, what makes us uh, unique in the global experience. Is it fair to say that Jefferson was a deist? I mean, very curious about God, um, very inspired by God's works. Sure, most but, but, most but, of those guys are products of the Enlightenment. But, but you would agree, well, okay, let's, let's go down the road of Enlightenment. But but the, 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 the early, the, the people that were so impacted or affected by the Enlightenment were scientific-minded people. Sure, sure. I mean, they, and, and intellectual guys. Well, yeah. I mean, intellectual, okay. The supernatural does not always... Um, I mean, most times the supernatural and spiritual collide with the intellectual understanding From time to we time, have of the universe. Course. Sure. And there's lots of individual, the Puritans up in New England oftentimes saw the hand of God in everything, a comet, an earthquake. I mean, this is God either showing you favor or disfavor. And so, you know, if you a bad harvest or something, you better get in that front row church. You better kick up when the anti-plate comes around on Sunday morning. So, yeah, and it, it, it kind of varied. But again, the large, the, the founding fathers, the large, large majority of these guys were, as you hinted at, were, were deists. You know, God was sort of a, a watchmaker who put the world in motion, uh, gave man free will uh, to be able to decide on his own. And again, this is what it was a stark contrast. The government said there's not going to be a state-sponsored religion, right? We're not going to tell you what you can do. You have free will, the choice, the ability. If you want to go to church, you can do that. If you don't want to. You can do that as well. But they felt people should have the opportunity to worship as they chose. Right, have that opportunity, but they don't have to. Again, if you just want to be an atheist, if you just want to be lazy on Sunday morning, you have that right as well. The government's not going to come at gunpoint and force you. Uh, you're not going to be pressured if you don't want to go to church. Well, explain. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Big Al in Florence. Good morning, Al. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning, sir. Hey, I got a, I got a really good deal here. Uh, the five points here at uh, – Excuse me, Krispy Kreme at five points uh, for five dollars. You can donate to the Children's Hospital and get a free, or for five dollars, get a dozen donuts, and you can't hardly beat that. So uh, please, everybody, come by and, uh, and and donate five and uh, get you some donuts and and let's get Donna Isgut out of jail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's our jailathon going on. Mud Flap and Palmer are over there, and this is kind of the kickoff to the CMN week for us. <laughs> That's right. And, gentlemen, I'm looking forward to uh, working with y'all uh, um, during the radio fund this week. Thank you, Al. Appreciate we'll that. Good to Thank hear you. from you. 843-661-0937. Uh, let's go to the phone. Bert in Florence. Good morning, Bert. Well, I might have to go get them donuts, even though <laughs> I don't need them at all. <laughs> you, need a, you need a thousand donuts, one for each of them gods you got. <laughs> Yeah, you know that that might make them like me a little better. <laughs> you know, speaking of my thousand gods, you know when the, when the Jews came along, this declared their they had the only God, and and you know then they didn't do that at first. The Jews didn't first say they had the only God. That came later, but they were all in about kill anything that that wasn't a Jew. You know, it, uh, mainly the pagans. You know, uh, Christianity come along and declared they had the Son of God, and even that wasn't with the original Christians, but again, got altered later. And they were against the Jews to begin with. I mean, this Judeo-Christian idea of the 
country was created. I, I don't buy that for a second because we used to hate the Jews. Christians didn't like them at all. But they jumped right on the bandwagon of kill all the pagans. Now, if you read the Koran and you read the Bible and you read not so much uh, the um, – Oh, I can't think of the main book of the Jews, but anyways, but go to the Talmud. The Talmud is full of every everyone that's not a Jew is either to be killed or to be enslaved, and that includes us as Americans. We are their slaves. Now, our founders were genius. They absolutely were because they literally warned us about letting Christianity take over. And they wanted anyone's religion to be their own private business. So they were genius. But, you know, when you start comparing Christianity and Judaism and uh, Islam, I'll tell you where Islam, Islam would not be a problem except the Jews told him to hit the road. When Muhammad went to the Jews and said, oh, I'm your latest prophet. I'm, I'm the next Jesus. You know, uh, the Jews told him to hit the road. They didn't buy it at all, and he went, and I believe he wrote the Quran. However, he claims that the angel Gabriel gave him the Quran in a cave, and considering uh, ancient alien theory, well, there's some possibility in that, and I, I don't totally discount that, but I think um, I think he took the Bible and uh, you know kind of rewrote it and created. Islam out of that. But some one of your callers was saying you can't go two pages in the Quran without it saying kill somebody. Well, there's entire sections of the Bible that's the same way. You, you've got to kill them as soon as you know that they're not you. You kill them. And there's only two options. You kill them or you leave that town and knock the dust off your clothes. I mean, you don't want anything to do with that town. It's completely lost. And I think that's only when you can't kill them when you find yourself unable to kill them. And that stretches to today. I live in this state literally because the good Christians of Arkansas was going to assassinate my entire family. They had already put me in jail twice, and they were going to kill my family for being pagan. Okay, so not much has changed. You know, the more it changes, the more it stays the same. Thank you, Bert. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937. So, so, Bo, if you sure. and I agree, and I've read probably not as much as you have, and I understand not as much as you do, but but I do believe that the majority, I know that Jefferson was a deist. Right. I mean, Je- Jefferson was very curious about God, but he couldn't scientifically rationalize exactly. or intellectually yeah. understand. Um, I mean, the arrogance of a man like Jefferson <laughs> to say, well, I mean, as smart as I am, surely I could understand um, God. I mean, that's, you know, anyway, uh, hubris personified. Having said that, when did we, popularize in politics the Ten Commandments in some of these places, putting your hand on a holy Bible sure. when you're sworn into political office. When did that become in vogue? Politicians always had to have the Bible present. Andrew Jackson made a point when he was sworn as president, took the Bible out of the chief justice's hand and then kissed it uh, to thunderous applause from the people. But certainly this, we've sort of maybe broken from our secular moorings post-World War II, and of course it's no accident, it's during the Cold War when we're fighting against this intellectual, economic, and sometimes militarily against a nation of atheists. And so this is when sort of politics came a little bit more intertwined with religion 
at least in my estimation. Okay, <clears throat> let, let's do this because this is so unfair to you, but you're, uh, you would have an interesting opinion here. And this is not a stated fact. I, no, I don't know if anybody knows the answer to this. So, so the inspirational documents, you talked about the era of enlightenment, yeah. that there's no doubt that Hobbes and Locke and those had uh, sure. tremendous influence oh, on our nation's founders. I mean, you know, I mean, you could, you could argue, I mean, Bolt and I would defend him, but you could argue that Jefferson plagiarized some of Locke. Well, the good writers were all the great ones steal. Mm, yeah. You're right. You're right. There, there are no original <laughs> ideas after about, you know, 700 BC. <laughs> Having said that. Okay. But, but stick with me for a second. I'm with you. So, so, so we understand historically the Constitution. We understand the Declaration of Independence. Yeah. Where where did our founders put the Holy Bible? Uh, th th they were inspired to create these <laughs> documents that were going to be the guiders of a nation. They were going to be the you know the guardrails. Here's yeah. here's how we preserve democracy, and here's how we balance human rights with with, with a government. Um, but but what, what did anybody talk? <laughs> about what the Bible meant meant to them. You know, of, of the founding generation, the guys who made the Constitution, a lot of people who were in the ratifying conventions, now this, sadly, this isn't this isn't on their radar. You know, a lot of the earliest founders, particularly the Puritans up in New England, they came here on a Christian mission. They knew the Bible frontwards and backwards. By the time you get to 1787, their great-grandkids, they don't, they don't care about that. They've lost that religious zeal. They're mostly concerned about freedom, uh, making money. So the you... <laughs> several hundred years that preceded our nation's formal founding were dominated by Christian thought. I mean, the Puritans came here sure, all, in search of in religious England. liberties and freedoms. The, the Puritans came here to establish a New Testament-style community. They were going to live their lives. A Christian nation? Exactly. And the, they were trying to do this because they wanted to inspire the people back in England to do the same. The Puritans, the guys in New England, had no intention— of staying here permanently. They're trying to set an example, the famous line, a city on a hill, and they thought everybody back in England is going to see all the areas of the way dedicate their lives to Christ, and the Puritans come back as as conquering heroes. Nobody in England cares about what they're doing. The, the Puritans write these glowing reports, and they say, oh, yeah, look at that, and they just file them away. And the Puritans were kind of forsaken, and thankfully for us, they decided to stay. And, of course, we had just a little minor role in the founding of this great country. I would say, take a but break, back in a few. 843-661-0937, Dr. Will Bolt, History Chair, Francis Marion University, puts his career on the line every Tuesday <laughs> morning and comes in, and he's still holding a job. Um, the power Amazing. of tenure. The power of <laughs> tenure in higher, in higher uh, education. No. <laughs> we have a lot of fun with him, and he enjoys coming in. Do we have a call? Good gig. Let, let's go there. Uh, we do have a call. Nick in Lexington. Hi, Nick. You're on. Good morning, fellas. Dr. Bolt, I'm going to ask you a question that's really not of the day. <laughs> During the Articles of Confederation, who was the federal leader? I just realized that George Washington may have not been the first president if it was named that. Right. Technically, there there wasn't an executive, but there was someone I was sort of the head of, of Congress at the time. And the Articles were a very, very weak, decentralized, and there's no executive, there's no national court system the government didn't even have the power to tax and so it was it really democracy almost on steroids created a sense of anarchy the government couldn't get anything done there was no force behind it again it was a product of its time we're rebelling against the british for taxation policies uh, a monarch which we thought was corrupt so what we we overcorrected and so the constitution was again a nice way to kind of strike a good balance between 
uh, almost the false start, the, the first misstep, uh, and what we have today. And so, yes, there was, again, somebody who was elected. And so in a technical sense, you could say that Washington wasn't the first uh, since whoever was the, the president of Congress could have served in that role. But uh, we'd have to go back and rewrite a whole bunch of history textbooks if we want to say that <laughs> GW wasn't the first president, bankrupt a lot of publishers. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, Dave. Appreciate you, that. So, so in, the, in the spirit of founding fathers, let's, let's stay here for a second. All right. Good um, stuff. My favorite founding father is Thomas Jefferson. My misunderstanding of the founders in most of my young adult life before I became more studious about politics and trying to understand where we come from and, and what matters and, and where we're headed and, and, and what our roots are. Um, we, I was almost convinced Dr. Bolt that our founders were somewhat monolithic that, you know, the founding fathers, like the Beatles or the Rolling Stones, <laughs> they all get off this bus and they think, the same thing, and he plays the guitar, and he plays the drum. No, I mean, they, they, they were sure. very different. I mean, they, they were not one of the same at all no, by all any from, All from different parts of the country. A lot of them had some uh, acrimonious, bitter debates uh, amongst one of them. But again, there's there was this art of, and maybe we'll see this today with the, the speaker vote, uh, this art of compromise, that the, there were certain things, right, certain hills that they would die on, but they realized there was so much more that united them than divided them. And they realized that half a loaf sometimes was better than no loaf at all. And so the guys that, who wrote the Constitution, none of them got everything that they wanted. And so, again, you know, I mean, Hamilton wanted a, a king, a president who would serve for life, right? Some of the guys said, no, Senator well, was a socialist. So, I mean, and, and when, when that came out, some of Hamilton's stuff, it, it was politically embarrassing uh, for the poor guy. But, you know, they, they all had to make concessions. Uh, they worked together. I mean, they started in May of 1787, didn't finish up until September. This is Philadelphia, pre-air conditioning in the summer. They kept the doors and the windows closed so that nobody would hear. They came in their woolen suits. I mean, just think of how smelly some of those guys probably were. The one person that was not there was Jefferson. And John Adams, our two best but do you philosophers. But do, do you buy into the theory that Washington wanted Jefferson and Adams disposed of <laughs> so they could get a compromising document. These were two headstrong individuals, John Adams even more so than, than Jefferson. I mean, John Adams thought the ideal form of conversation was an argument. Uh, no, no, no. I think it was just circumstances. They were serving abroad at the time. But again, we still had a, we were, look, we had a pretty deep bench. Uh, a lot of other guys who were able to kind of pick up the slack. But again, who knows what might have been if our our A game, our two best guys, our two starting pitchers uh, had been available in Philadelphia. And it's always been unusual to me for our North Star, our Constitution, to be um, having not involved probably the greatest two political theorists oh, yeah. in American history. Look at how it turned out for us, and we had a, a, the third-string quarterbacks were essentially. Now, some of these guys were, were pretty good and knew what they were doing, but the the Titans, I mean, the, the, the best, into, the guys who'd studied and knew had forgotten more about politics than most of us will ever know we're serving abroad. And you'd think nowadays if we were doing something it's like, ah, he's over in London right now, get him on the next plane. Get him right. Get him back. We'll, we'll delay. And there was never any thought to that. Let, let's go to, to the religion uh, story okay, again. Um, I mean, I don't know of many men who would say to God, well, I mean, you did a pretty good job, but <laughs> let me edit this for you. Yeah, that's um, I mean, if you believe that the Holy Bible is the inspired and errant word of God, what, what do you believe the Jefferson the Jefferson Bible is? Yeah, well, in the Jefferson 
edited, cut out large sections of the Bible, the miracles of Christ, lots of stuff that he didn't uh, believe in. Probably makes for an, an easier Sunday school class, right? There's not as much to, <laughs> to talk about. But that must have been a fun conversation on the Day of Reckoning between Jefferson and, and, and St. Peter. It's like, you did what, Tom? <laughs> so uh, he, he might have had some explaining to do uh, at that point. But again, that's how Jefferson—you can buy the Jefferson Bible online. You can go out on Amazon uh, if you're looking for a gag gift or just a, a conversation starter around the holidays. It's there. But no, and, that, and Jefferson, a lot of the guys in that same lane kind of thought— uh, Along those same lines, but but it really goes back, in my humble opinion, I want to get yours. It goes back to the to to, to the, the the impact the Enlightenment era had on, right. and the introduction of science and intelligentsia right. and serious thinking and philosophizing, and 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 Jefferson just landed in a place of if it is perceived to have been miraculous, yeah. and I can't scientifically I can't rationalize prove it, I can't prove it. it, then I'm mm-hmm. just I'm taking it out. Exactly, exactly, and right. So I'm usually worried about you know, oh man, I. I said a couple of things I shouldn't have said about during that Tennessee or Buffalo Bills game. I, how did Jefferson kind of square that? It's like, yeah, yeah your, your holy word, I, I, I kind of cut that. I cut that out. So, yeah. Didn't really walk on water. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> who believes that? Um, let's go to the phone. Uh, Jim and Sumter listening to WDXY. Hi, Jim. You are on with Dr. Bolt. Hey, Dr. Bolt. Um, Morning, uh, you know, I got a, a interesting little uh, family tree sent to me recently, and um, – I'm wondering, lesser-known figure, but apparently signed the Declaration of Independence in my family tree. That's pretty cool. Uh, Richard, Richard Henry Lee. Okay, yeah. Can you tell me anything about him? There's a lot of Lees who, who come up at that time. Uh, there's Lighthouse story, but I think he's, he's got to be from Virginia, am I correct? Right, and I'm also related to William, I believe, Lighthorse Harry Lee. Okay, yeah, yeah. So Robert E. Lee's, yeah, you got some, you got some good strong yeah. bloodlines, uh, in or, you right or there. Or not. So <laughs> it's it's a fun rabbit hole uh, to go down, and it's to have somebody who signed the Declaration of Independence. I'm I'm jealous. Uh, you really need to kind of like go back and if you, if you can find like uh, any of the family documents, the signatures of some of those guys uh, fetches a pretty penny uh, at some of the auctions and make a nice little uh, fortune on eBay. But no, it, it's a fun thing to do. And again, a lot of these guys, they're 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 in a lot of the books, and I think there's there's biographies. You can probably find them online or on Amazon of the guys who signed the Declaration of Independence. Some of these guys are pretty obscure. Some random guys from Georgia who just signed it and then pretty much disappeared uh, from American politics. But I'm sure the Lees they've left a long, long uh, a lot of record behind for you, uh, and it'd be fun fun to kind of delve into. Go for it. Well, and and, and I just want to throw this one at Josh. On the other side, my mama's side, we're all savages, according to you, because uh, my my grandmothers and my grandfather are full-blooded Pawnee and Choctaw Indian, so I guess they needed some saving over there. Uh, Savage is a behavior, not a trait. <laughs> <laughs> Love you guys, mean it. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate Thank it. You. Have a good one. Thank, Thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, everybody who signed the, the Constitution – then not have buildings named after them. Sure, sure. Uh, these guys and are... the Declaration of Independence in particular, there were some very obscure figures. That, oh, that for signed. sure. And it was a revolving door, particularly for the Constitutional Convention. They're meeting for several months. Several of the states appointed delegates who had to serve two purposes. Uh, you got to meet in Congress. Oh, 
and you can go and work on this constitution. That's how cheap uh, some of the states were. They didn't outfit an entire delegation. Some of the states like Virginia sent the very, very best that they could. And some of the ones that I just, if you have some time, uh, go into Philadelphia and kind of work on this. But again, it's it's revolving door. Oftentimes, just a couple dozen guys uh, were in there working. Uh, all told, over 50 guys participated at some point uh, on the Constitution for us. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. Okay, I want to conclude. Dr. Wilbold, History Chair, Francis Marion University, is here with us. And, and this is not necessarily... Well, I mean, it is this. It is history. We were talking um, during the break. I believe this, and, and and once again, I've never written a book. I don't. I don't give speeches. I mean, I try to convince people to vote for me once upon a time, um, and, and we engage in a conversation every um, every weekday, uh, twenty hours a week. But but I want I want to go to this theory I have and get your take. Sure. My theory is that the the era of enlightenment has such a profound effect on Jefferson Adams the other political theorist that, that helped found a nation, but they were, they would have been somewhat embarrassed. I mean, it was not considered intellectual nor stimulating to say, I believe or trust in God almighty. What, what do you say to that theory? No, I think you're, you're, you're probably right there. They would have been kicked out. They would have been kicked out of the club if they said, no, no, I can't do this. I got to go to church on Sunday morning. And they probably would probably, if they did want to do They'd probably do it very discreetly. They'd probably find out one of those churches off the beaten path uh, in the Piney Woods areas, if you will. But again, this was sort of a, a mark of being in the the club of the big wigs, the heavy hitters, the great intellects that you didn't, sadly, as they would, you didn't waste your time with spiritual matters at that time. Is that the precursor to modern day liberalism? You could perhaps you could make that. It's not that much of a stretch. Uh, to go from that uh, to where we are today, for that, sure. That, that certain intellectual havens in America today, certain you pockets can. of intellectualism in America today, um, far fewer intellects in liberal America today believe in God Almighty or this debate right. of religion, they would find a little beneath them. It's, it's the trendy thing is to to question and to, to not go, to almost be an atheist at this point of where we are in the, the higher echelons of, of intellectualism in America. Now, certainly there are numerous, many, many, exceptions to that as well but if you if you want to know the secret handshake right then this is one of the pathways to getting into those clubs was andrew jackson one of the first elected officials who allowed his faith to be a part of how he governed much much more so than any of his predecessors and again he wasn't as out in the in public as many political leaders are today but most would consider him to be our first evangelical president and so a very strong, devout Scots-Irish guy, strong Presbyterian that didn't like any type of organized religion, that he should be able to do what he wanted on his own. Uh, and so, right, so Jackson, he really there's kind of, kind of the first in a long line. How about Lincoln? I mean, you know where I'm headed. Oh, I mean, sure. one of the most controversial and consequential presidents in American yeah, history. Absolutely. Lincoln and his faith. Give me a kind of a one-minute lecture yeah, on well, that. Uh, Lincoln fa- fascinating. It didn't really belong to any organized church, but certainly did believe in a supreme being, a higher power, and, and recognized, right, that and the numerous Lincoln speeches, right, are, are filled just dripping with references uh, to God Almighty. Gettysburg Address, Second Inaugural, uh, Emancipation Proclamation. So Lincoln felt in many ways that he was, uh, just like so many other individuals at the time, God's instrument uh, to preserve this union and to remove the great stain on the republic, the institution 
of slavery. And Lincoln said it's, it's ironic. We both pray to the same God, but yet here we are out there. And Stonewall Jackson, one of the great thoroughly religious individuals, always found it ironic that he fought most of his battles on Sundays. So just kind of a weird little quirk. That, that, that is a very, very weird. And, di- and um, died on a Sunday as well. Wow. Didn't know that. Um, you're full of information here uh, th- <laughs> this morning. Yeah, the, the professor. We have a call? Okay, we don't have a call, so you and I will continue uh, this conversation. So so the, let's go back to the Jefferson Bible because I find this so intriguing. Um, what did others, do we have any account? When did Jefferson edit the Bible? Yeah, we talked. <laughs> That's a weird. And, yeah, I, 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 you've stumped me there, and i got to go back and figure at what point. I mean, Jefferson, thankfully for us historians, Jefferson preserved every state, everything. And he had a, a system made up which made copies of his letters. And so, yeah, exactly when, and Jefferson was active like 50 years. I mean, the guy, even as just a teenager, was this this great intellect. Yeah, exactly when and where. Maybe he's over in France, you know, sipping fine wine just with a, a penknife. I mean, that Bible sections. over there. Let me, some <laughs> right, of that exactly. stuff doesn't make a lot of sense. And this was the guy who's this always thinking of uh, the perpetual man in motion and somehow found time. And knowing Jefferson, he probably did it over the course of an afternoon and just like sat down and powered through. It. And something like you or I would be able to take us years to complete something like that. But no, that's a good. I got to go back and look out and see exactly when and where. And maybe if there was some event that maybe triggered it, you know, a death or something, or if he saw something miraculous, who knows with Jefferson. Bob, here's my last question of the day. If someone out there listening to our voice is curious or interested in early American history, and they, they know some of the stories of Jefferson and Adams and Washington and Hamilton and, and Madison, some of the other, you know, prominent founders in our nation. How much do they owe knowing more to studying Locke and, and some of the uh, Enlightenment philosophers? Well, so, and he, he, Locke is, of course, Thomas Jefferson's hero. This was his beau ideal of a statesman. You don't take John Locke when you go to the beach. You know, he's, this, this, is, this is some heavy-hitting stuff. Uh, you better have a dictionary handy. I was, and I was, John, Locke's one of those guys, if you're into political philosophy, and some people are that, I like politics, but not so much the philosophy behind it. You know, I've, I've read Locke before, and you read it for a half an hour. What, what did I just read? <laughs> I, I've wasted an entire half hour. I, I retain nothing. And say, so, oh, crap, that's a half an hour of my life that I'll never, I'll never get. But again, Jefferson uh, understood Locke's ideas about a social contract, the, the tabula rasa, and was thoroughly influenced. And in James Madison as well, New Locke as well. But again, right, Jefferson, John Adams. You know, nowadays, you and I, we come in, we chew on the fat, we're talking about the college football. These guys start off with a conversation of, well, I was reading John Locke the other day for the 50th time. It's like, oh, yeah, my favorite chapter as well. <laughs> and so maybe someday we can get to, get but, to that but, level. But you would agree that to know American history requires you to at least understand the Enlightenment or the period oh, of Enlightenment. Right. Oh, absolutely right. You got to know the the antecedents, the origins. It it puts it all into context, and you understand the, the why, why the founding fathers are acting like you. It's in response to these actions and the precedents that came before them. Very Definitely. well explained, Doctor Bolt. Thank you for your time. Hey, good stuff, Doctor Will Bolt, History Chair. Yeah, had a had a big win against um. Okay, let's not get. Hey, we got thirty seconds with the music, right? So so let's go here. Tennessee wins a big game against A and M. They have an even bigger game this, this week. Against their arch rival, their the Crimson Tide. Yep. If I'm not mistaken, it is in, in Tuscaloosa. That's what I thought. Yeah. That's what I thought. So you care Man. to give a prediction? 
I think Alabama's a little salty over what we did to them last year. We're, <laughs> we're a 10-point favorite. Tennessee just hasn't looked that good on offense this year, so I'm I'm a little nervous about this one. Would you agree with this analysis? I told Rev yesterday in our audience, South Carolina and Florida was a game between two good, bad teams. The game Saturday, Tennessee may be a bad, good team. I think, yeah. Is that fair? I know. I, I, I see what you mean. Tennessee can punch up and, and surprise you. You know, the odds of Carolina beating Alabama. Anything can happen, but it, a whole bunch of things got to go right for that to happen. Correct. And Alabama is still Alabama. Yes, I mean, they, they, they may not be uh, the freight train still they the were. Still the boogeyman. Yeah, they're still. Um, and, and Tennessee got them last year, and I got to believe yes. the Tide are waiting. As, as, mm. as, as Tennessee <laughs> yes. waited on was, was South Carolina, for, yeah. this, this is, year, this is, this is kind of, um, you're on the other end of this yeah. deal. I hey, we'll, we'll t- take it out of the boat. Hey, have a good week, guys. We'll take, a bro- <laughs> we'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937 is our number. Well, that was an interesting choice of music there. Why is that an interesting choice of music? I don't know. That was a hit. Well, it was a hit. A big hit. And and I was liking it. That was a big hit. Huge 80s song. Commercial Uh, rock. But but I had to go during the break. I had to go to the back and take care of something. I came back in, and so you and Josh had worked on the song there. And that's just a little out of character for your typical choice for song of the day. I got Saturday night when I got home from the football game. I'm decompressing and trying to forget about football uh, because our Gamecocks blew it. Um, and I started just plundering around on the internet and there was a cover of that song and it was so uniquely done. And you know how, if you, if you Google, if YouTube, if you watch a video, it makes these mind reading suggestions and it's pretty good. at. And, um, and, and that song just reminded me of, uh, that would have been what year? I mean, 87. Okay. I was going to say mid eighties, mid to late eighties. Um, and it was a big hit. I, I played I mean, it as a new song. <laughs> it's brand new from a new group called The Outfield. Really? Yeah. Was that their only big hit? That's I mean, obviously the, yeah. their biggest hit. Yeah. They, were, I, they may have had uh, some secondary hits. There was a song they had, and nobody will remember what I mean, this. What, what I'm trying to do is show you that, I mean, I can relate to Mere Mortals. I mean, they're, 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 I mean when I'm reading Locke, I mean, I don't spend all of my time philosophizing and reading about John Locke. I mean, I do silly things like you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I listen to the outfield. <laughs> is that so? Yeah, but I, 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 what, what I'm trying to do is express a degree of humility, Josh. And and, and at times, I, 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 I've got to understand that Josh and Rev are normal people mm-hmm. living normal lives. Thank you for that. And, and every now and then, I lose the um the practicality that I can. Yeah, well, um, well, you like to say you're reading Locke and I'm listening to the outfield well, I mean, usually. And, and that's kind of the way. Uh, and that that. The, the reason I played the song or suggested to Josh to play the song is out of respect to you. Oh, well, I mean, thank you. You know, I want, I want to reach down every now and then. Appreciate and, that. And, and try to convince you. I'm, so I'm, generous. I'm, I'm one of y'all. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, had you ever heard that song before, Josh? Oh, yeah, that's a great one. Yeah. Right. See? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's 80s know. music is timeless, my friend. I thought I saw both of you kind of clapping, <laughs> you know. Um, I was doing the air drums, but but I saw the gaze. I saw, in the, I saw the gaze in the guys in the stair when I was talking about Locke between 1652 yeah. and 1667. John Locke was a student and a lecturer at Trice Church, Oxford, where he focused on the standard curriculum. You ready? I mean, he's focusing on the standard curriculum of logic, medic, physics, and classics. What? Um, yeah. Um, he then studied medicine extensively and was an associate of Robert Hooke, Robert Boyle, and other leading. Oxford scientist. What? He was not a member of the band, the outfield. Um, mm-hmm. John Locke was doing metaphysics and, and logic and science and, and medicine while, you know, the fun and games folks who don't take the world 
as seriously as, as seriously as they as they should. Um, you know, you kind of hey, back wonder. to the outfield. Uh, <laughs> I'm just looking up. It was 1985. Was their big uh, their big release? Play deep. I just was looking that up. So okay. It was a couple of years earlier. 1985. Yeah. You know what I think of 85? That's the year of Bill Elliott. Ah. That's the year Awesome Bill won a million dollars in Darlington. Back when a million dollars was really a million dollars, <laughs> A lot Josh. of money then. Yeah. <laughs> you spend that at a drive-thru. If you piggy-size it. <laughs> yeah. Do we, ever get, true. do we ever get to a day where you say, you, you want a biggie-size? Yeah, that'll be a million bucks. You know, just put it on this card. I mean, it's, it's all make-believe money anyway. Feel Why like not give like me that. some of the uh, some of the make-believe money? Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. David in the PD. Good morning, David. Hey, man, 80s music, man, there was a band back in the day called Naked Eyes, and they had a song called Promises, Promises. Promises, Promises. Man, that's, I, I think about politicians, Promises, Promises. Can you been talking about religion and spirituality. Uh, hey, I'm going to pick on Christianity for a second, man. Uh, back in the day, you had your Catholics, you got your Protestants. Think about Spain and England. The reason they hated each other was one was Catholic, one was Protestant. You think about the colonization of this whole North America. Why do why do people down in Mexico, why do they speak Spanish? South America, why do they speak Spanish? Here's a good trivia question for you one day. Why do people from Brazil speak Portuguese? Uh, but what was their common thread? They wanted to exploit this new world. Uh, and what were they looking for? They were looking for uh, gold, whatever, uh, uh, timber, beavers, I mean, whatever. They, they were looking for it. And I'll, I'll take that same thing to Islam. That's a religion. Uh, let's look at uh, Saudi Arabia. Uh, they're Arabs. They're Sunni. Uh, Iran, they're Persians. And again, I, couldn't, I couldn't tell you. I, if, if I saw two people today, I couldn't tell you who was an Arab or a Persian as far as what they look like. But they're Shia. Uh, what do they have in common? Uh, oil, and how many solar panels are in Saudi Arabia? I don't know. They've got a lot of sunlight there. Uh, they've got a sandstorm there. How many windmills are there? So, but they do have another common. They got a common en enemy. It's called Israel. Uh, but here's one thing. Here's here's you. You need to be on the lookout. And I'm gonna be like my man Trump. I call it TikTok China. Uh. This man-made AI surveillance tech and these robots and all this kind of stuff, I mean, and you got these secular ex-Soviets, that's in Russia. Uh, we need to be on the lookout for that, man. Uh, and I, I'll, I'll leave you at this. You guys are dealing with uh, these folks uh, at the hospital and all that stuff, and you can talk about little kids, I mean, little, little neonatal care. You can put these kids in your hand. So think about the specialized tools that are needed for that. So that's what you guys are doing for the next three days. So it's better. You, you're doing a better job in the next three days. So I'll miss you. I'll call you on money if I'm still living, but you guys are doing a good job. Thank you, David. Thank you. Appreciate that. You know, at times, and full disclosure, um, we feel it's a way to give back to the community. I mean, we really and truly do. Is it? You know, uh, d d is it hard in election years? In fact, we've discussed whether we can move it around a little bit because I mean, imagine the the middle to end of next October, we're a couple of weeks away from a presidential election. 
And and I, I've recommended to Rev, and I, you know, this is kind of no. I mean, I, I'll speak my piece, and I'll say, "Hey, man, <laughs> I mean, it, are you sure we need to be? I mean, our bread and butter is politics. I mean, it, it's 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 what you folks want to hear. It's what we enjoy um, discussing and debating and talking about. Um, but then we have this obligation to the community to try and contribute to its common good. Um, and McLeod has a children's hospital, and the children's hospital takes care of kids who wish they were not there, families who wish they they were not there. But I am, I mean, I, I've told Rev this. I mean, I, I'm concerned about the timing during presidential election cycles and, and not being on the air talking politics for three days when we're a week, week and a half, two weeks away from, from a presidential election. But I don't get to make um, that decision. I do want to say this, and, and, you know, I want to condemn Biden. I mean, we've not uh, condemned Joe Biden yet today we got to do that to earn our to earn our keep um one one of the most offensive and disturbing things that biden says and, and i guess some percentage of the country believe this we, we talked earlier about hamas and hezbollah and fanatical islam and uh you know I, I think i gave a pretty good illustration josh and i go to starbucks and you know josh is trying to convert me to islam i'm trying to convert him to christianity um it never crosses my mind to go home get him a shade and cut his head off I don't know what percentage of jihadists there are within the ranks of Islam, um, but but you've got all these geopolitical arrangements, and I mean the you know the Russian government is after the Russians' best interest. Now now you can say not the rank and file Russian because that's a you know a dictatorship or a totalitarian regime. Ah, you know is the American government really out for the American people? I mean, do you really believe that the American government wakes up every day? I mean, it's not one. I mean, it's, it's a lot of different people that contribute to the way we govern ourselves. But you're not going to convince me that Washington considers the plot of average Americans when they make some of these decisions. Um, and then you've got China and Russia. Um, you've got uh, fanatical Islam. You've got Iran. Um, you know, there, there's there's pretty strong evidence that, that suggests Iran – is the funder. I mean, that's where, that's the money source for Hamas and Hezbollah. Um, you know, Hamas and Hezbollah don't reflect every Palestinian. I don't know what percentage of Palestinians support what Hamas and Hezbollah do. But but the one alarming thing that I've heard Joe Biden say, and, and liberal Democrats, is the biggest threat to American safety and security are the MAGA extremists. I mean, that, you know, that, that's, right. that's bizarre to me. I mean, that that's... I mean, I understand in politics you say things to provoke. You say things to try and, you know, at times in a, in a primary, you're trying to, uh, you know, drive a wedge between you and your your opponent. So you, um, is he more anti-MAGA than anybody? Uh, in, 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 a, in a Democrat primary, I got to believe the way to the top is to be anti-MAGA. But, but I make a president that says publicly, on the record, that the biggest threat the American public face is it China? Is it Russia? Is it fanatical Islam? It isn't Hezbollah or Hamas or Al Qaeda or ISIS? It isn't an insecure southern border, but rather domestic terrorism brought to you by MAGA extremists? That is a. Is he saying that as president and as the uh, commander in chief and the man? Well, I mean, personal- everything he says is as president right. and commander in chief. Right. 
I mean, every time the guy opens his mouth, it's not like, hey, forget I'm the president for the next five minutes when I say these things about MAGA extremism. It's bizarre to me that the media lets him get away with that. I mean, this is a crazy world. And I understand we don't have answers to all the problems. In fact, Josh and I have agreed that let Russia and Ukraine say grace over Russia, Ukraine. Josh is probably more let Israel say grace over some of the issues Israelis have to deal with. I mean, I'm a little more compelled, and I've admitted that, that a lot of my motivation is an adherence to a biblical worldview. I make no bones about that. But but I, I still, when I hear, when I, when I read as much as I do about China and Taiwan and semiconductors, and, and I read about Russia and Ukraine and, and the relationship, you know, Russia providing China with a lot of its energy, when I read about Iran and how much money they fund to Hezbollah and Hamas and some of the other you know, death to America. Uh, it's bizarre to me that a, that an American president could hold a press conference or, or at least read off a teleprompter. I mean, he doesn't hold press conferences because he's incapable of that. He reads off of a off of a teleprompter. But somebody somebody thought it smart to put on a teleprompter. Forget Russia. Forget China. Forget fanatical Islam. Forget Hamas or Hezbollah. The biggest threat to America are the MAGA extremists. Wow! Wow! I mean, the irresponsibleness, if that's a word, of um, of someone not saying that at a bar, not over a beer, not trying to, some radio show host trying to provoke a, a conversation, but the leader of the free world and the commander-in-chief of America's military publicly says the biggest threat to American safety and security are those MAGA extremists. Wow. Take a break. Back in a few. Welcome back. We have with us editor-in-chief of Jewish News Syndicate, host of Top Story with Jonathan Tobin, senior contributor to the Federalist, columnist for the New York Post, Jonathan Tobin. Mr. Tobin, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for joining us this morning. We've done the best we know how at trying to break down um, the serious nature of the issue in Israel. Um, I'll, I'll preface my questions and comments with, with a I mean, a sincere belief that I have, and that is, as a Christian, the the relevance of Israel in my biblical worldview. In other words, it's easier for me to say, we don't need to be as involved in Ukraine and Russia. It's much harder for me to say that about Israel and Hamas and Hezbollah and Iran and that part, that part of the world. Is that, I mean, is that normal for someone like me? That, that is not Jewish, but does ascribe to a Judeo-Christian worldview to be more sensitive about that part of the world and what happens there? Well, I think um, you're speaking for many Americans. I, I think a majority of Americans who feel, you know, Jewish and non-Jewish, who feel a great sense of kinship with Israel because of their, their faith, because of the fact that Israel is a country with uh, common values of democracy, uh, like with the United States. Uh, there's a good reason for that closeness, um, and um, you know it, it's commendable, and it also should inform you know kind of the way we look at these issues. If, for example, um, if you look at some of these you know awful protests that have taken place in you know some of our major cities on, on elite college campuses like Harvard and Columbia, other places. And you hear people saying, well, Israel is a colonial state. The, you know, the Jews are colonizers in, in, in Israel. They're oppressing people of color there. And it's like, wait a minute. The Jews are actually, to use the terms of the left likes to use, the Jews are the indigenous people of Israel. 
And you know that because you just opened that, the book that Christians and Jews both revere, which is the Bible. You know, <laughs> it's our history book as well as the book of faith. So um, the common values and, you know, it, it's, it's normal and it's commendable. And why wouldn't uh, American Christians feel a sense of kinship about the place where their religion was born, too, and where, for the first time in history, all religions have free access to, to the holy places. Only under Israel has that been made possible. So um, I, I think it's important for Americans to express their, 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 their love for Israel um, and their uh, willingness to support it at a time of just, you know, what happened last week you know, it's not just, you know, turn on the news, another, you know, violent story and like, oh, that's terrible. Switch the channel. I don't want to think about that. What happened last week was the worst mass slaughter of Jews since the Holocaust. Um, the people who perpetrated these crimes, Hamas uh, terrorists, they didn't ask who these people voted for, what, what, you know, what religion they believed in or what kind of Jew they were, you know, which synagogue they went to. They just wanted to kill them all. And that is something so barbaric. You know, we, we experienced something that uh, like that at 9-11 when just mass slaughter of people. I mean, it, it's hard to wrap your head around. But think about what the United States did after 9-11. We went to the other side of the world to take out al-Qaeda bases in Afghanistan, and we wiped them out there. And we eventually tracked down all the people that were behind this, including Osama bin Laden. Well, Israel's al-Qaeda bases, the moral equivalent for Israel, is right next door. And, you know, for 16 years, they tried to uh, coexistence with Hamas. Hamas has ruled Gaza as an independent Palestinian state in all but name, an Islamist terrorist state for 16 years. And up until now, Israel's policy was, you stay on your side of the fence, we'll stay on ours. You shoot rockets at us, we'll shoot back at you to take out the rocket launchers. But we're going to leave you there just don't escalate this, and we'll, we'll let you alone. Well, that didn't work, did it? And uh, you know, Israeli politics is as divided as ours here in this country. And people, you know, are at each other's throats, especially in the last several months, over whether they like Netanyahu and this policy and that policy. You know, just like America, democracy is fun that way. But Israelis are united now, both in grief about these awful crimes, and also in determination to ensure that it doesn't happen again. And what it wants from their American friends is support to finish the job and not to pressure them to leave Hamas in place, to let the people who committed, committed these crimes, who ordered these crimes, be sta still standing when the, dust, uh, you know, when the dust settles after this. If they are, if out of misguided uh, caring for you know, civilian casualties inside of, uh, inside of Gaza, you know, Hamas uses uh, its own people as human shields. If we let them get away with this, you know, it's bad for everybody because let me make one, you know, make a point here. Americans were killed in this crime, too. Fourteen Americans are currently being held hostage, the major hostage situation, along with approximately 200 Israelis. Um, and, you know, a lot of people were killed. And they, if we let this go, if this just ends with you know, a little exchange of fire and, you know, Hamas is still ruling Gaza a few months from now. I guarantee you this will not just encourage them to continue. It will encourage their sponsors in Iran and their other terrorist allies, groups like Hezbollah. Iran's the leading state sponsor of terror in the world. It's been appeased by the Biden administration that gave them billions of dollars in hostage payments. This won't end here. 
but it's got to end here. Let, let me but, but stick with me for a second because you know far more about this than I do. Um, I've tried to cram in the past week. I just told you that a lot of my adherence to a biblical worldview forces me to look at Israel in a different way. But if but if I get philosophical and intellectual, I start thinking about Hamas and Hezbollah. And, and I think about the ground offensive, uh, the fact that, you know, Israel wants to eradicate Hamas and Hezbollah from the West Bank and and Gaza. But the I, I guess the Westerner in me says there will always be another Islamist jihadist to take whomever we eradicate from Gaza or the West Bank. And, 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 and America today has a kind of a non-interventionist streak in it. We, we've, told, we've been told things over the last 30 or 40 years that just didn't come to fruition in that part of the world. So I guess we're all a bit skeptical. And my skepticism is that, that I believe Israel can eradicate Hamas from the Gaza Strip, but I don't believe it can ever eradicate Islamist jihadists from wishing death on Jews in Israel and Americans in the United States. Am I off base there in that analysis? Listen, you, you, you've raised an important point. Um, a lot of us in this country uh, were under the mishap, including obviously President George W. Bush and his administration, were under the misapprehension that we could, if we remove Saddam Hussein, replace him with a Jeffersonian democracy. That was nuts. <laughs> you know, it, yeah, a lot of people died, and um, it didn't work out. So we're not going to try that again. And we shouldn't. Israel doesn't want to turn, you know, Israel's goal is not to, you know, con, you know, convert the people in Gaza to become, you know, love, peace, love and granola, whatever. You know, they're not trying to make them into Zionists or make them into Republicans, Democrats or anything like that. What they want to do is convince them to end this war. And wars only end when one side admits they've been beaten and they give up. Now, in 1945 in Germany, and I'm always against Nazi analogies because, you know, nothing, very little is analogous to what the Nazis did. But you know what? What happened last week, these crimes, they were analogous to what the Nazis did in terms of their cruelty and this kind of mass slaughter, the worst mass slaughter since the Holocaust of Jews. And, um, you know, we went into Germany and we might have said, you know, even if we take down Hitler and his crowd, there, there are going to be some other German nationalists that will rise up because they're always – German nationalism has been there, and they're always trying to take over other countries, and they're a danger. And it's like, give up. don't you? You'll never change them. Well, if Germany is the same country today, it's because the German people understood that their leaders – uh, the political party that many of them had supported, uh, the, you know, that they had fought for, had led them down a path of destruction, and they had to change. They had to give up, not just you know, they had to not just surrender. They had to give up their beliefs. Well, the only way the Palestinian people will ever have peace, you know, we're not trying to make them you know give up Islam, we're not trying to make them become something that they aren't. But what they cannot be is a people whose only purpose is to destroy Israel and to try to throw the Jews out of their own country. They have to be convinced that this isn't going to work. And the way the international community has pressured Israel over the years is that there seems to be a rule that Israel is the only country that can't win a war, that the Jews are the only people who are supposed to uh, suffer these kinds of crimes and just, you know, treat it, fluff it off, you know, turn, turn the other cheek and you know that may work in our personal relations as we try to all be better towards each other it doesn't work when you're dealing with terrorist movements 
Um, Hamas has met, you know, the one thing, you know, Biden's, I'm not a big fan of President Biden. I think a lot of his policies have been terrible and led to some of these problems. But his statements in the last week have been excellent. But where he's wrong is when he says the vast majority of people in Gaza don't support Hamas. Well, you know what? Actually, they do. Hamas is very popular. The reason why there hasn't been an election in the West Bank in, in 19 years is that Hamas, you know, Abbas, the, the other, the, the President of the Palestinian Authority is afraid he's going to lose to Hamas. Hamas's supporters have to be convinced it's over. The game is over. And that's the only way this ends. And um, it's not going to be easy, but it has to be attempted. And Israelis who are trying to save themselves and defend their country, you know, they're not asking Americans to fight for them. They're just asking for our support, and I think they deserve it. One of the, and this is my last question, and appreciate your time. One of the concerns that we have as Americans is escalation, and we fear that this, 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 uh, th- th- we can't be successful unless we hold Tehran and Iran responsible for the funding of Hamas and Hezbollah and some of these Islamic jihadists. Do you share that sentiment? Well. You know, the United States has been funding Iran. The, uh, President Obama's Iran nuclear deal enriched and empowered Iran. President Biden's hostage payments to, uh, to Iran sent them billions of dollars. They've got to stop that. And, you know, um, President Biden is going to be in Israel tomorrow. It's a nice gesture of support, um, kind of a photo op. It's actually delaying Israel's ground defensive because they can't do it while he's there. The one productive thing that the United States can do is to send a message to Iran that appeasement is over, that they, it's not going to work. We're, we're changing our, you know, and they have to stay out of this. The United States has the muscle to send that message and to make them pay attention. That would be a productive use of Joe Biden's time and energy, and I hope that's what he, how he uses it. It's a little bit like the Trump doctrine. I'm not asking your opinion there, but as I've yeah, researched well, and read. Trump might have had his flaws. But he was good at sending messages like that, and it generally worked. Biden has to channel a little of Trump as much as he hates him <laughs> if he wants to be, play, to, to be helpful here. Well, explain. Thank you, sir. Appreciate your time. Thank you. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. So our next guest is always welcomed in here. She's been coming to this show for a long time, uh, probably since we've been on the air, Rev. We've always set aside an amount of time for people trying to contribute to the community. But, but at times, she's not as welcomed as others because she brings these stories of these kids. I mean, it's bad enough when a 50-year-old has something urgently wrong, needs medical care, um, their, their entire world is turned upside down. But when Beverly McKee of Cooks for Christ comes in, good morning, ma'am. How are hey, you? Hey, good morning. Well, I, I don't mean that today because you're bringing me this information about a three-year-old who's got everything in the world wrong with them. And, I mean, we're heading off tomorrow to the children's hospital, and it just don't seem fair. Excuse my, excuse my French, but Beverly, I guess this is what motivates you to be involved in Cooks for Christ. Yeah, you got to help people. You know, God gives us the talents, and you have to help people, and these people are really struggling. You know, they're not only losing their loved ones or possibly losing their loved ones, but they're dealing with, you know, lights being turned off, mortgages not being paid. Well, two-income family down to one. It's so who sad. is Michael Mullen? Michael Mullen is a precious little three-year-old boy. He is just the cutest little thing. He's the son of Matt and Alicia Mullen. Matt works for Newcore, and Alicia had to stop work because she was 
you know, unable to continue working. She stays home and takes care of him. Uh, when Michael was two years old, he was diagnosed with neurofibromatosis. So that's a rare genetic condition that causes benign tumors of the nerves and growths in the body. Um, he has several brain, spinal, facial, optical tumors. Um, he's also been diagnosed with epilepsy, chari formation, hypertension, several liver conditions, kidney and neurological issues, just to name a few. He's basically got every condition that can go along with this neurofibromatosis. Um, he was receiving care at the MUSC in Charleston until he was about nine months old, and then an eye specialist there discovered something really alarming, and he was sent to Duke University. And it was discovered that he had two brain tumors along the optic nerve, and those are inoperable. He immediately began chemotherapy, and that lasted for 14 months. He's treated by the Pediatric Brain Tumor Clinic and NF Oncology team there, along with many other specialists, and he's been hospitalized countless times. He's on many, many um, medications. The chemotherapy has caused issues itself with skin and hearing loss, and some of his medications are not covered by insurance. He's receiving several therapies on a weekly basis. So the family travels back and forth to Charleston and Durham. And, um, and he's three. He's, he's three years old, and hmm. they'll continue to do that for the rest of his life. Okay, as much as you and I believe that on certain rare moments the world should stop turning, it doesn't. Uh, it just no, doesn't. I mean, no. it doesn't stop for this family. It doesn't stop for you. It doesn't stop for me. It won't stop for anybody until God says enough is enough. Um, you talked about travel. You talked about the uncertainty of life. Um, there are, I mean, the, 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 the cost of living continues. You got to buy groceries. You got to buy gas. You got to, I, mean, I would imagine you, you talked about the wife not being able to work. I got to believe the the husband has had his work life interrupted in some way, shape or form. So what you try to do and what cooks for Christ tries to do is not figure out a cure for this little kid situation, but rather help them put some money in the bank so they can continue life. They'll never be life as normal, no, but, no. but as normal as could be, that's what every dollar you raise goes to try and help. That's right. That's exactly right. You know, a light bill didn't go away, you know, um, house takes, payment, car that's payment. That's right. It takes gas to try to do all this travel. It doesn't go away, you know, and, um, it's, uh, it's, it's tough on these family. And I think what hurts me the most is they're dealing with possibly losing their child and dealing with the everyday dish conditions that come along with that. And then they got to worry if they got money in the bank. And, you know, so that's what we do to help. And and we're doing this November, excuse me, October 19, not Thursday. Well, that's this Thursday, Thursday. two, day, two yeah. days from today. It's yeah. at the West Florence Fire Station. Kind of walk me through the specifics of that. Okay. Well, we're having prep day today. So we'll have probably 70 to 80 volunteers there. And they're cooking the chicken and all that, getting prepped and ready to go on Thursday. Um, we anticipate feeding about 6,000 people Thursday, um, but we need volunteers. We're going to need 150 to 200 volunteers to be able to do this. We will have a need for about 80 delivery drivers. We've got to run three lines to get this much food out. So we need help. So if you can help us on Thursday, if you would come to the fire station, we like for the men to be there about seven o'clock, the women about eight o'clock, about 8.15 for people that want to drive, bring a hat and an apron if you've got one. If not, we've got those beautiful hairnets that everybody loves. 
and um, wear closed-toed shoes because that chicken bog is really hot if it drops on your feet. So y'all come. It'll be a great day. We start every day with a prayer. We end with a prayer circle. Um, and you will be blessed just to be able to help this family. What if somebody wants plates delivered? Is it too late? Do we still have time to do that? Today at 5 o'clock is the deadline. You can call me at 843-229-0348. I can write your order up. Dina Altman is actually routing this benefit. She'll start tonight. She'll route all day tomorrow, and they'll finish up tomorrow night. So we have to have a cutoff for deliveries. Um, If you don't need seven plates or don't want them delivered, come through our drive through lines. They'll bring plates right to your car. And it starts at what time and ends at what time? Well, it starts, we say it's from um, 11 to 6, but we have food prepared because we have to get our deliveries out. And, you know, we'll be going to Mac B at 930 in the morning, so you can really come earlier. They probably don't want me to say that, <laughs> but I'm saying it. <laughs> and, and, Red, this is when you normally brag about the I efficiency uh, at, at the fire station. Because I participate every time, and, and if you're worried, and, and you're going to be anticipate feeding a lot of people but you still run it efficiently beverly just said they'll they'll have three lines going and i've seen them at the full capacity where they have three lines and they still get you in and out they'll, they'll have law enforcement directing traffic in most cases mm-hmm. and they'll get you in uh, you can buy your tickets and uh, sometimes there's baked goods yep, um, they and, sell all day yep and uh, and then get you in and out and then uh, take it home and enjoy not only that efficient way to get your dinner but always delicious consistently delicious chicken bog i just love mm-hmm. it. it absolutely is. so your number one more time is is 843-229-0348 okay thank you ma'am thank you always we'll take a break we'll be back in just a few moments 843-661-0937 someone held on during that segment let's go to the phone anthony in north carolina good morning you're on the air hey morning fellas i keep it short and sweet today but I got to say, this one-sided media of what's going on in Israel is kind of remind me of COVID and 9-11. It, it just, everybody had the same script, seems like, that speaking about it. But, I mean, the problem is, is that the generation, Ken, your age, a little older, of just supporting something just because the Bible saying that y'all generation is kind of dying out and the younger generation they ask questions, and, you know, that when you ask questions, then you, um, you learn stuff. I had two quick questions, though. First of all, Ken, what if Mega First does not support, if Trump get elected and the Mega First movement does not support Israel in, all, in none of these wars, where are you going to go with, your belief or religion, or you going to go with your country? My second question is, don't you feel like other countries feel like the U.S., is a terrorist country too, and, and like our CIA has done stuff which is is called terrorism in other countries though, but we don't call it terrorism. As far as going and maybe assessing another leader, causing disruption so they can um, oust him or whatever. Um, in reality, you don't believe that our country to a lot of people is a terrorist country, and we support terrorism too. I mean, we have drones that drop down and kill whole families at weddings and nobody go to jail or whatever. Fear and terror is terror. But that's all I want to say. Thank you, Anthony. Appreciate that. Um, I mean, my support of Israel is, once again, it adheres to my biblical worldview. But it's not ignorant. I mean, it's not just that. I mean, you know, I, I'm not saying the Jews are blameless. I don't believe they are. I mean, I think the Jews have probably 
abuse some of the privileges of having a Jewish state. I don't know where the line should be and that Palestinians should be allowed to, to live. I mean, I've got no idea about that. Um, so so when, when my support of Israel is, is, is about my biblical worldview, if the Jews were organizing terrorist organizations targeting innocent Palestinians, I mean, I'm off that train. I don't want any part of that. Um, but, but I've just, and I've looked hard and I've not seen a Jewish leader say, um, death to all Palestinians. I have seen Hamas and Hezbollah say death to all Jews. Um, to Anthony's second point, I am less trusting of my government today than I've ever been. I am more believing that our government has done things that, that we should all be ashamed of more than I've ever been today. I, I was raised to believe um, that America's good, that, that America promotes goodness and, and, and civility and, you know, the Judeo-Christian ethic and, and worldview. I still believe that. But I think our government is unbelievably corrupt. And I think our government has done things not for the betterment of mankind, but rather in its own best interest. And I do believe that my political party today is in an asymmetrical dynamic. By that, I mean the voters want something different than the party is promoting. So, so yes, I am more skeptical of my government than I've ever been. I'm less trusting of my government than I've ever been. Enjoy your day. We'll talk tomorrow.